everyone. Welcome all to our dark, cold, and dreary inner sanctum located in the chilly, lonesome walls of your local morgue. How nice of you to join us this fine evening for our Corpse Factory spoiler cast. I am your host, Polly. And tonight we are joined by the most multinational selection of podcast hosts I've ever had the privilege of hosting. Four hosts, four countries, all the foreplay you could ever ask for. <laughs> so let me introduce first and foremost, I don't know why foremost, he's not the most important, I am, uh, but how's it going, Nert? I'm very important, thank you. You are very important. Hello. <laughs> Hello, hello. Hello. It hello. is it is half eleven at night, but I'm gonna talk about some corpses. Yeah, that's gonna be you you are ready for a podcast. We've had you on a podcast yeah. uh, in the past, so you're a little more familiar with how things go here in Polytown. So I think you're gonna be good. You had a good time. We yeah. talked we talked about nausea. It was good. We did. Was good. I forgot what we talked about, but yes, we did. Yeah, well, you just pretend that you. I could say we talked about anything. I we, we talked about. Oh, I would have agreed. <laughs> we talked. We talked about your big hairy butt crack, and it was like it was great. Everybody had a good time. Yeah. yeah. I've been drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even drink, but wow. <laughs> and of course, a friend of mine. I have known her for a number of years. It has been an absolute pleasure. Please welcome to the stage for the very first time on a podcast, anyway. Twin Tail Nami. That's it. That's hello. Good, good follow up. Nice snap. <laughs> nice snappy. You're you're right into it. <laughs> How's it going, Nami? I'm just, I'm just opening. I'm very happy because I just received my buffalo wings. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Outside world. We were and, uh, we were I'm in there. a desperate situation at the start of this podcast. We were waiting for buffalo wings, and thank Christ yeah. they arrived. Nami cannot function without buffalo wings. In case anybody didn't know. That's true. Yeah, just literally cannot function, just falls over dead, like a corpse. Like a corpse. That wasn't very funny. That wasn't a good joke. But, uh, yeah, Nami, thanks for joining us. You are joining us, I think, from farther away than anybody I've ever had on this show, maybe. So. Yeah, not sure. I'm from very far to the south of the world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like the butt crack of the world, almost. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. You can hear the farts and everything from here. It's awesome that I've I've done two introductions so far, and I've managed to say butt crack in relation to both guests already. That means we got to work it in for our, for our third one too. Joining us from up top, America's hat. Joining us for the very first time on my stream or in podcast form, the joke meister herself tonight. Apparently, it's a flat cap. Yeah! Yeah! Woo! Woo! Yeah! Somebody's <laughs> fucking pumped. I am ready to go. Um, I am so ready to go that I'm actually dead. You're dead. Um, yeah, it's it's an important part of the story. Um, Noriko uh, is dead <laughs> at one point uh, in the truck, and that's me. I'm naked, and I'm in the truck. Fantastic. With my showing. Or is this going to be one of those like the, like one of those Final Fantasy eight theories where oh no, Norco was dead the whole time. Oh, pretty much. There yeah. you go. That's gonna. That's what we're getting into here. Um, 
But welcome to the show for the very first time, Cap. Uh, Cap was also our legal counsel uh, throughout the, the duration of this fine video game. <laughs> so that was fun. Mm -hmm. It was good having a, it was good knowing what was legal and or illegal and just how much taking this case would have made any lawyer fucking cry and give up. <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty illegal. <laughs> also, here's a fun fact. This is my first uh, collaboration with anyone. Oh, wow. Uh, so congratulations. Well, that's fantastic. I am absolutely honored. Could not be happier. I, I popped your collaboration cherry. It was me. My name's written on that. Please be gentle. <laughs> oh, but of course. But of course. But of course. All right. So... As mentioned tonight, we are here to talk about River Crow Studios' recent release, Corpse Factory, which is a psychological thriller visual novel primarily focused on the idea of a website where you can upload someone's picture and at some point later, that person will die, with the catch being that they'll receive a photo of their own corpse prior to their death. And if that sounds a bit similar to an anime called Jigoku Shoujo or Hell Girl, then yes, many of us made that observation throughout the course of this game's development, and I'm sure that the developer got real goddamn tired of hearing about it. Um, but the creator has ensured us all that it had no bearing on this story, and as we get deeper into Corpse Factory, uh, the differences between that and this will become much, much, much more distinct. So, uh, with that, I think it's time that uh, we go ahead and we kind of start digging into this thing. And you, you start, you, you start with the, the the most obvious thing. You load up the game and it says it says Corpse Factory. And I understand that our good pal Flatcap, you might have some 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 something to say about the name of the game being being Corpse Factory. Other than the fact that maybe there is a titular factory where we may store corpses later. You saw maybe something a little deeper. Yeah, so think of it this way. When you, when you initially think about this game and what happens in it, the description is essentially this girl has a website where you can request a death, right? You don't get that from the title Corpse Factory. And obviously, there's a few different conclusions you can take from this. One, they're really trying to trick people that this is Corpse Party. Um, it is not, I no, assure you. No, no. That's um, another one they got throughout, uh, throughout the duration of, hey, is this, is this a follow-up mm -hmm. to Corpse Party? Yeah, is this the, is this the Corpse Party Factory Edition? Because I know <laughs> I am always jazzed to go to the Corpse Factory for a rave. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. That's what parties happen in factories. Everyone knows it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I want to say, like, a lot of my analysis and thoughts on this game come from the perspective that um, Noriko, um, as we're going to see throughout the game, like she works um, a data entry job. She's kind of a part of like the millennial Gen Z sort of generation. And a lot of this corpse website stuff kind of falls in line almost with like a millennial hustle kind of thing. Like she does this in her free time. She like photoshops everything. And I feel like there's a certain significance to focusing in on the fact that it's like a corpse factory because when you think of factory you think about like manufacture right sure, you sure. think about production you think about things like that and um a lot of this involves like um noriko trying to to develop an identity for herself um through this venture 
And it's almost like a business for them, right? Sure. They like are trying to meet quotas and deadlines for all these like corpses throughout the story and things like that. The entire story is kind of around this idea of building up this sort of business enterprise around a corpse website, which in itself is like almost ludicrous. Like a lot of the actions of characters in this game um, are not exactly what you consider rational. And part of that is their mental illnesses. But um, <laughs> um, also it, it follows like this logic of like, oh, we got we got to get uh, 10 corpses out by Tuesday, you know, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And I'm not sure if this was the author's intent in choosing the title Corpse Factory. Maybe they just needed a unifying title. But it is interesting that they chose the Corpse Factory as like their central figure. Um, they could have chosen like the death website or something simply like that. I don't think that's, instead, as fun of, that's not as fun of a game name. Death website. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I mean, but like, <laughs> when you think about corpse, like corpse factory doesn't sound that funny either. It's just like, Oh, uh, is this like a, is this like a sim game? Am I, <laughs> is it like a factory for a graveyard? Like what, what is this actually supposed to mean? There's so your follow up. Like that's that's kind of why I started thinking about it to begin with. So it's like this isn't like like a title like a lot of death games where it's like uh, ten days to die or something like dramatic like that. But it's just Corpse Factory. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, that's that's my thoughts on it. I, I feel that- like a lot of this game is about producing something uh, of value to Noriko. Um, I, I'll get into this later with regards to her identity and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. same with Owie. Mm-hmm. But um, this whole idea of making something for yourself through an almost capitalistic business-like venture um, comes into play with the title Corpse Factory, in my opinion. I think that's that that's a banger way to start an analysis podcast. Like we start with the name that may was there a deeper meaning here? I like that. That's a really good read. It's like I had never thought of the the name of the game beyond oh, there's a corpse factory. They have one. They go to it. Noriko lives there and is happy. Um so yeah, like it's, having it's just a mate around. Yeah, like having it yeah. kind of thought out that way. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited as to where we're going for the rest of this show now. Yeah, I, I like it in the sense that it does feel like she doesn't see it as like, oh, I'm going to do a murder and it's going to be a terrible act. It's like, I am, it is, she is a factory. I mean, she is like creating corpses. She doesn't really care whose they are or why. It's just like, I got a request, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess that's her, that's her attitude to it more than anything. Yeah, and, like, and, and tying that to the whole millennial hustle thing and it's just like, it is a side hustle, you know, the, 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 the fact that mm-hmm. she does eventually lose her job, but like, it, it starts out as like, yeah, this is my side hustle. I do the murdering. <laughs> Um, it's a, it's a good, yeah, like that's a really cool and fun read that I had never really, I'd never put much thought into the game beyond that. So that's, that's a cool read. Cap uh-huh. starting up, Cap coming out the gate strong. And it kind of yeah, links with everything else. Like it kind of links with everything else as we go along. Yeah. Like about of this is about like Norco is this young woman. I think she's like 20 or something. She's 20, something like 21, I believe somewhere around there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so she's like a young person trying to make her way in the world. She doesn't have much sense of identity, and she like latches on to this ideal, mm. and that's what she's trying to achieve through this corpse factory. Yeah, and it is a lot like like these sort of like I gotta pursue my dreams on the side kind of deal. Though, so 
that's kind of where I'm coming from with this. And that same identity thing plays into Ali's dynamic, but we'll get into that. We'll I'm get sure. to that. We, we will get to the characters because, boy, this, this game's got some characters that we need to be talking about. Uh, but uh, to get the story started, we start with the prologue, which this is the actual demo for the game that was released a year prior and what got me completely into wanting to play this game because it just makes that strong of an impression. Um, but uh, the story starts out that we are playing from the perspective of a girl named Emmy Katsuno, who is an employee at a clothing store who works with a bunch of bitches. Um, and that's another thing that I will give this game straight up. It's got some of the best use of bitches I think I've ever <laughs> seen uh, in visual novel prose. Um, and it was a pretty strong stop. There, yeah, like I think the fourth word of the script is bitches. Like I think it starts real <laughs> strong. I remember having a real good laugh. Uh, at that um, but Emmy works uh, with a few fellow employees uh, she's not a big fan of the bitches uh, and a fellow employee Yuriko who is a name we might want to keep a, keep a note of in your little noggin uh, she frames Emmy for theft and, and gets her fired uh, with, with seemingly everyone in the store in on framing the poor girl uh, she's not having herself a good day Poor Emmy. Was, I felt bad for Cap because Cap immediately latched on to Emmy. It's like, oh, there's that's my girl. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, that's my name. Blonde hair, blue eyed girl named Emmy. Sure things are gonna work out great for her. Things are gonna go great. Um but 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 yeah, like she's and she's got such a great like she's got such a great inner monologue voice like and that's another thing that i have to give this game so much credit for is that we play from different perspectives throughout this game and everyone's voice is so unique and interestingly written and that is really hard to do with inner monologue like and i just gotta give this game props for so much of that so you're just kind of upfront. the writing in this game is spectacular um but anyway, so she gets fired for the theft, and it, she's kind of bummed. And, and after that, uh, she's bu bumming around the mall, and she runs into a girl named Owie, who uh, we may also want to keep a note of. Uh, and uh, this girl Owie, she kind of like she's she's sympathetic to the story, and she's she offhandedly mentions, uh, "Hey, there's this murder website you can plug people's pictures into and get them killed if you want." That sounds rad. Anyway, bye. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was great. Like, just in this game called Course Factory, a girl shows up wearing a sundress with literal sunflowers on it and talks about a course website. And it's like, yeah, that she's got her head screwed on. Like, she's this is a normal person. She's gonna be fine. She looks like a she looked yep. like a, a gorgeous little cinnamon roll, and we are going to love her. <laughs> <laughs> we had hopes. We no, we have a lot of hope. We're still full of hope. Dang it! I I think things are gonna work out for her. So. Anyway, like like Emmy just gets fed up and she's like, you know what? Fuck it, fine. I'm gonna send this. I'm gonna send this bitch's picture to, to to this website and see what happens. Who cares? It's probably a joke anyway. Nothing's gonna happen. So she does it. Goes about her day. Night turns to day. The next morning, she wakes up. Uh oh. Hey, got a text message. What? What could it be? What could it be? She wakes up and she finds that she's received a message containing a photograph of her own corpse in, a, in the first of 892 twists that this game is going to throw at us. Emmy has received a photo of her own corpse and that was the moment that I realized, uh-oh, this, this game's not playing it straight with me at all. <laughs> 
Because yep. I did not, like, when I played the demo, and this is all there was, the Justice Prologue chapter, I thought it was just going to be, okay, they're going to show us how the murder website works. She's going to plug in Yuriko's information, and then they'll find her, you know, she'll wake up the next morning and, yo, Yuriko died. You know, you'll find yeah, it on the... She'll be all guilty about it. Yeah, 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 something like that. I thought that this was going to last for a while. And then, no, uh, our girl receives a photo of her own corpse and starts freaking out because that's what you do um and then there's a knock on the door Uh oh what could that be oh it's just a harmless bag of potatoes somebody delivered me a harmless bag of potatoes on a stretcher couldn't be anything bad right oh no oh no our girl has just our girl just received our girl just received her own fucking corpse that's scary And uh, she proceeds to throw herself out the window, seemingly uh, killing herself. And uh, mission complete. That's the end of the demo. See you a year later um, when you play the full game. Uh, that was that. Wh- what did this? What did this prologue leave you feeling the first time? Um, I signed up immediately. Sorry. I thought this was gonna be like a supernatural kind of of stuff, mm-hmm. like. It made me feel like, well, there, there's probably some magic or, or something involving here. And I, I really felt bad for Emmy, actually. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, like, I really felt really bad. Yeah, like, her situation sucks. Like, she got hung out the dry for shit she didn't do. And there's no reason. Yeah, you know, like, we are immediately made feel awful for this poor girl. It was like, yeah, okay, she snapped. And she did the thing that felt logical in the moment. She sent the, the, the picture, and then it completely backfires in a way that it's just like, that's, that's so unfair. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything like this can be some message about karma or something like, oh no, you request someone else. No, that's, that's, that means you die. Yeah, yeah. Where's that going to go? I think the karma point is a good one, simply because I feel like this entire prologue sets up a very interesting moral dynamic that kind of plays through uh, the rest of the game. And this is actually going to come up again uh, when we talk about Tomoe. Mm. Um, there's this idea that like oh, well, this murder website can be used for justice because uh, (laughs) Emmy can put this in when she has like this really super bad thing happen to her. But then there's the immediate inverse that happens to her where it's like, oh, time to eliminate you, buddy. And it kind of sets up like this basic moral dynamic of like, well, obviously this is kind of a crazy idea to have a murder website, but how do I get other people to latch on to this idea? Like a normal a normal person like Tomoe. Tomoe. (laughs) The most normal person. Good old normal Tomoe. (laughs) Because she ends up joining and actually it kind of sets up that ethical dynamic. Like obviously Noriko's doing this for her like own identity uh, tuny kind of reasons. Mm -hmm. But like Tomoe joins in uh, for, and we'll get more into her character when we get there. But like for this reason of like, oh, you helped out my BF. Um, so clearly this is a good thing. And then she's in it for a while and she's like, actually, I found out that murder is against the law. Tomoe is a girl that has her name written on her own necklace so she doesn't forget it. So I can understand how she might not, might, might not be quick on the uptake that maybe, maybe getting people to, to off themselves is bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not high on the comma scale. No. 
<laughs> but I think what I love about this is also like it sets up. It could be you know, is it supernatural? Like it seems to clearly be. Is it is it karma? Is that kind of that and the other? But I think it does masterful of distracting us from the fact that a corpse showed up because that was not was not on the website. Yeah, yeah, and, like that was the weird like part. She's imagining it maybe. Yeah, like maybe she maybe she's freaking out. She thinks that's her own corpse. And then we just don't think about it. We don't question that. For, for a lot of the game, where it is just photos, we're like, yeah, yeah, she, she just imagined that. Yeah. Like, and we like, think that that is what's happening to anyone who gets these photos. Yeah, like, you keep waiting for the moment for the shoe to drop. Like, what's this? How did that happen? Because at this point in the story, you're still not 100% sure if this is real, if this is real-world machinations, or if this is something supernatural happening. Um, and, and I think that, like, that's a very cool way to kind of end that portion. It's just, like, to leave you hanging. You don't know yet. It will be revealed pretty soon, but like having that, like, having to sit on that for a year uh, was interesting because I really wasn't. I knew how I wanted it to go, um, mm-hmm. and I kind of, and, and, but I also had a feeling of how I think it's going to go. And I wouldn't have been disappointed either way, but I'm just glad that the way that I wanted it to go was the way that they went with. I think, yeah, like, so, so, so I obviously watched you stream it, mm-hmm. although I was kind of interested, but I watched you stream it, and then immediately I was like, I don't need to see anymore. I'm signing up. I'm signing straight <laughs> up to this Kickstarter. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, but I kind of fell in love with all the characters we saw, even though they were horrible people. All of them, all of the girls at the, yeah, at the shop. Yeah, like, like, they were interesting designs. They had interesting personalities. And I'm like, okay, how are they going to be affected by this? How is the story going to carry on with them? Not expecting that. Like, we were not going to hear yeah, from them not ever. Not expecting again. them, like, that's all. <laughs> they're just done. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, like, it was not the turn I expected, and that's such a fun way to just, like, again, it's so on the nose of just like, oh, yeah, this game's gonna swerve you a lot. Get get used to it. That's your only warning. I think the fact that they start with characters that basically don't matter to the plot is also just really meaningful, Mm -hmm. because it gives you, like, a sense of, like, how much Noriko's actions in making this thing is actually impacting other people. Like throughout the story, we hear about the police investigation and stuff like that. But other than that, we just get like little snippets of like, Oh, that person died and that person died and how much they might've, what like what those people might've been going through at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, this opening kind of sets the grounds of like, Oh, they must've went through something exactly like Emmy did. Yeah. Um, like, so, like, when the first one dies, I think her name's Akane or something. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's meaningless, right? She's yeah. just a boring, boring yeah, she's just executive. A, just an office girl, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you get this feeling of, like, oh, yeah, she probably freaked the, the fuck out. Yeah, like, <laughs> we got, like, it, that, like, like, giving you that in the prologue is absolutely, like, what needed to, you, like, the terror that you go through the moment that, like, that happens. So it makes everything feel more real since we lived it first person, basically. Mm-hmm. It also sets up a, a sense of suspension of disbelief because um, us in the real world, if we got a photo of our own corpse, I'd be like, what the fuck? And then I would delete it. Yeah, um, right? So like, who's thinking it, twice just, about this? Yeah. So when it does that, it sets up like this idea of like, okay, this can actually be effective and scary. And it also sets up this idea, like Owie, later, way later in the game, we're talking third act, so... Um, this is your last warning for spoilers, spoilers chat. <laughs> um, she, where she brings up, like, yeah, I've been basically doing all the murders for her, basically. Um, uh, it, it, beca- it, like, it totally shatters, like, this illusion that this was ever effective at all. Yeah. And, it, I, I, and, the, and a notable thing about the prologue is where, like, you, it's vague enough where it makes you sound like MB actually just jumped on her own without even thinking about it. But, like, she got, she got nudged. She got nudged. Yeah. So it gives you like that sense of ambiguity. It sets up the entire like suspension of disbelief dynamic, 
Like this prologue does a lot of things uh, in terms of setting up like all the dynamics, which is what a prologue should do. Um, <laughs> and, and I also mentioned like the justice morality dynamic that everyone's going through too. Right. 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 Um, well, at least not Noriko, not Aoi, <laughs> not Kojiro, but uh, Tomoe goes through it, and maybe Shinya. I don't know. <laughs> we don't hear much from Shinya. Okay. Uh, Nami, do you have something? No, no. Okay, I thought I heard okay. Nami uh, wanting to say something there. Just wanted to make sure everybody got uh, everything out on the uh, prologue before we move on to Act 1. Uh, yeah, we don't want anyone to be a corpse around here. No, 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 no. Uh, but if everybody's ready, we can move on to Act 1, which puts us... Into the brilliant little mind of Noriko Kurosawa three weeks prior to the events of the prologue. Um, and boy, oh boy, I think we can go ahead and pump the brakes and talk about one of the bigger, the, like, like the biggest parts of this story, the heart of this story, if you will. If this story has heart uh, at all, uh, it belongs to Noriko Kurosawa. And she is the, uh, the type of character that. I've just not run into in fiction for a while where she's just one of the most well-written characters I've I've come across in anything I've played or read lately. She's just uh, really layered. There's a lot going on with her. Uh, it's easy to, to see why a lot of us maybe, like, find a means of relating to her and sympathizing with her to some degree. And even if you don't relate, I feel that there's room for empathy despite her actions. She's a very complex character that you could literally spend three hours on what we could just do a podcast on her character. Um, that's how nuanced yeah. I feel that she is as a person. So, um, uh, what, Nert, get us started. Where, where, where do you, where are you landing on Noriko, right? Like, like uh, as a character, as a whole, is this just like the overall, like, what's the picture here? Well, I think it's fascinating that when it started out, I just saw her as another Emmy. Of mm -hmm. like, you know, like she's, she's, she's pretty and stuff like that. But I just saw it as like, we're going to just watch her die. We're going to see the same thing happen again. Mm -hmm. And I, that's, that's all I saw her as. Mm. So you thought that this was going to be right like off. a repeating, like every chapter is a different person, and then we find out yeah. that okay, okay, yeah, and then then and then, then it will build up to what Corpse Girl is later, and like you know, there would be, be totally these little these little snippets, and then it will come together mm. right up until the point where she goes, I go to the Corpse Girl website, <laughs> slash admin, and I like, wait, wait, what? You did what? <laughs> I love that that's such a casual reveal. Uh, that Noriko is going to be corpse girl, the titular corpse girl. Just what? Oh my god! Like I wasn't expecting it to just the game to just drop it there, but it's literally like in the first like ten minutes of the fucking first act of like. Oh, by the way, I went to the website and entered my administration details and looked at all the requests. It's actually quite a while. Mm -hmm. I think it was ten minutes, but it's but it's, 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 it's the same way. It's hilarious because of course she's on the front cover. And like she looks like the type, right? <laughs> right. Should yeah. Guessed it. Should have guessed it. Didn't. Um, um, I think the point, like part of the point, is that it's like casual, right? Mm -hmm. Like you mm -hmm. said, like you said that um, you made a big deal about how we can relate to this character, and part of that is that the writer builds that up with her from the start, yeah. and part of that is that sort of casual reveal. Mm -hmm. How are we introduced to like Noriko? Um, she goes to work. She's working at like a database job. Like she's a, just a goth girl. She's just going through a normal day. Uh, the Shinny guy seems to have like a crush on her. 
you know, just typical, you know, anime stuff, but yeah. a pretty normal life. And it being such a casual reveal makes it so like, first of all, basically any of us could be corpse. Okay. That just sets that up from the beginning. It's not like this big, grandiose thing. Now, Noriko builds up Corpse Girl in her mind and through her dialogue. But the fact is that in that initial reveal to us, her being Corpse Girl isn't a big deal. No. And that's an important bit of the writing, right? It's about, like, when you're talking about establishing a character whose basically entire purpose, entire ambition, is to make a murder website and kill random people off basically for self-worth and gratification, you're going to have to do some work in order to make her relatable. And you have to kind of start by bringing that person down to our level. So while Noriko talks about this in grandiose terms and, you know, um, is all about like making this her identity, it's in an aspirational sense. Whereas our introduction is very at our level. So we can relate to that sort of, oh, this is something she's, she's trying to make something of herself. Yeah. This is, this is like grounding us. And, and we find that all of this comes from just uh, a lot. Like she, she is somebody who suffers a lot of mental illnesses. Um, like she's got body dysmorphia. Like we find, you know, like... She talks about, like, hating how her body looks. She loves her eyes, but she's always making these contradictory statements about how she looks. Like, my fat, slender fingers or something like that, you know? Like, there's <laughs> always some, like, like, and it's it's very well, um, uh, all of the mental illness in this game uh, is very well portrayed. It's, it's, it's portrayed in a very fair um, and respectful way, despite the fact that it is in this story about these awful things happening. I don't ever, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think that it's ever pointing an accusatory finger. Uh, it's saying like depression is what made her do this or her trauma no. is what made her do this. Um, Norco is just yeah. a character that is wrapped in so much shit that, like I said, she is a hard character to kind of just digest in one small character. But as we see, as we will see over the course of this story unwinding, there are so many things that uh, like like that have just gone wrong for this poor girl that it's hard to not feel that like pull of sympathy. Or if you have felt a lot of the things that she talks about in, in the ways that she refers to herself and the mental illnesses that she suffers from, it's like oh yeah, like it's easy to kind of put yourself in her position in a way uh, and it makes her all the more understandable and relatable despite being such a incredibly complex person <laughs> I think mm-hmm. one of the, the genius the genius tip parts about it is the the layers to it and how gentle the introduction was so although like yeah she's got all these problems we we only hinted at it in the early beginnings like she actually seems quite normal um they immediately give us these antagonistic characters that become great later but like tom is like the, the the bully at work and then this 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 nerdy guy's trying to hit on her and we're immediately defensive of her like no 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 get the fuck off of the, of the girl that we are now in the we inhabiting this yes moment. get off of our sweet little um, our sweet little cinnamon roll <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and like none of that stuff later. It's very difficult to write in a monologue that doesn't give too much away, but is still consistent later on. That we can go back and say, well, surely she would have been thinking about this. Oh, she was, but just in terms we didn't understand yet. Yep. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, I also like going a little bit back to what Polly said about like the nature of like violence and mental illness in this game. I will give a bit of a commendation here um, to the writer. Um, it's very difficult to write a story 
about mental illness and violence without making it seem like an inherency to the mental illness. Yeah. But the amount of work, and this, this obviously took a lot of work in order to try to dissociate um, the two uh, in terms of um, sort of establishing that, you know, like, they're humans and they're making very human decisions here and making them relatable in a sense that it makes it so, um, how do you say this? Uh, I, I guess like, I guess, it, yeah, it's a problem in fiction, uh, that mental illness is often related to violence mm -hmm. and trying to make that a human thing and not just like an essentialization is really important. And I think they accomplished it pretty well. Yeah. Uh, so that's my sort of shout out there. I, I kind of rambled through that, but that's okay. <laughs> I think it's like uh, I also. Oh, sorry. sorry. Oh no 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 no! It's okay. I was about to jump over to something else. So if you have something to say about that, go for it. Yeah, I think it was more like um, uh, uh, my brain froze. Her like her entire motivation that because yeah, if it, if it was just like her motivation is just murder people, and she's like, ah, oh, murdering people's awesome. We would never relate with her, but it's because we over the time we get this this image of it started with her just photoshopping dead images which is kind of a, a common fixation for like that kind of the kind of character that she is and then someone did die and from that she goes i might have a magical power and from that it grew from that so it was never about murdering people it was like just using this power that she has found and like, like yeah but like a sense of identity a sense of serving corpse girl's purpose and like that was the the in on her i was like oh that makes sense i can see someone who's a bit disconnected with reality would get sucked in by this and, 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 and it's not about yeah. It, it all being grounded in reality is what, like, I think that that's the thing. That's the point that I was making earlier on when I said, like, this could have gone two ways. It could have either gone supernatural or grounded in reality. Is I was glad that this was a story grounded in reality where she's not some person with magical powers. She just literally is just good at Photoshop. She photoshops people's faces onto corpses and sends those pictures to them and tries to get them to freak the fuck out uh and kill themselves basically is the whole thing um and i think that that's like such a cool thing like it's obviously silly um and, and it like again like it was mentioned earlier like i would just get a picture of my corpse and delete it like whatever dude shut up <laughs> get out of here um but the fact that it's rooted in just like, oh, she's just really good at Photoshop. That's cool. <laughs> um, and, and, and like, I think that that's what makes her like, like everything being grounded in reality. It lets us get in. And then, and that's really, really cool. Um, Nami, what about Noriko? Yeah. Something I wanted to say before, for going, continuing is like, uh, I think we skipped something mm -hmm. and which was like, super good about the game the, the intro cinematic and, oh uh, god that, that opening theme jesus christ that fucking song was awesome i i mean i, I i've listened to it yeah. i've listened to it a couple more times and um yeah actually that that part of the of the video like had some uh had some pictures like um like when you see those pictures at, at first you don't really know what what they're mm -hmm. what they're they're all about and they, like you see Kojiro and, and Tomoe in the car and the one that like I really remember every time is um Tomoe punching uh, <laughs> punching Noriko uh, and you really don't know what 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 that's, what that's all about mm -hmm. and um but yeah there you could tell that okay this 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 might this must be either the 
the um, protagonist of the first act or this must be like the protagonist of the game. Mm-hmm. So I, I was, I, I was thinking just this. Okay, this is these are the protagonists of the game, and we're we're gonna stick with this with these people for a while. And yeah, about Noriko, I I remember like kind of um, trying to trying to figure out what 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 was up with with her mind, with her like illnesses, with her, her mental illnesses. Like I thought for a for a bunch of time, I still kind of think that she had some DID. Oh yeah, because, dissociative uh, identities. Absolutely, I think you can feel that. Yeah. Like, and I think as much as stated when we figure out like what's actually going on and what "quote unquote" corpse girl actually is. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I would have loved to ask that to the to the um, to the developer, but maybe that's something you need to like try to figure out by yourself or trust. That's probably not really I, I, I important. Did have... I did have yeah. an email conversation with uh, with the writer uh, prior to this, and he did mention that like he does have a background in psychology. So I think that like everything being like I don't think that that's an overread on Noriko's character at all. That that she would suffer DID, uh, especially with the way that it's written. Um, I think that that's absolutely like a part of the uh the the uh the mental illness soup that is in this poor girl's head <laughs> i didn't know that about the about the developer that's super cool actually to yeah. know <laughs> yeah yeah he was very mm-hmm. cool and forthcoming when i when i asked about a few things about the game but yeah the, the, definitely like the way mental illness is portrayed in this game i cannot stress enough how how respectful it felt. As somebody who deals with uh, some of the issues that are presented in this game, it just it's accurate. Um, to, and 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 he did the work that was needed to be done to make sure it never felt insulting. Yeah, Polly has a murder website. It's one of her big <laughs> issues. Um, <laughs> we don't talk about it much. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, on the topic of the mental illnesses and. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe this is getting a bit too much into things, but I really like, um, and this will be a common theme in terms of my analysis of this entire game, how the mental illnesses and everything like that plays into Noriko's core dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why it becomes so relatable is it attaches itself to things that even people without mental illnesses would necessarily experience. Yeah. So I talked a bit about before in the Corpse Factory title discussion about how like this is kind of a millennial side hustle thing for her. And a lot of the dynamics in this game for Noriko is about herself and the ideal self. Yeah. yeah embodied by the corpse girl that, spoiler alert, she discovered in her home. Mm-hmm. This sort of slender ideal sort of um, like the literal rotting corpse um, representing like her anorexia, for example, her body dysmorphia. In, in the 90s, part of her. in the 90s and early 2000s, I think you would have heard that called heroin chic. Uh, yeah, where, heroin where, mod- chic. where models were like 90 pounds and literal like skeletons. And you could tell that eating disorders were at, a, at the heart of that, which again, that is something that also plays into Noriko is that she has an eating was, disorder. Yeah. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that was the whole thing. That was Twiggy. That was, yeah, yeah. The, the incredibly thin people. It's like, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And the whole like DID dynamic between Corpse Girl and Noriko is like this distinction between the self 
and the ideal self. Mm-hmm. And it, it plays into like her whole entire ambition. She doesn't only want to be thin and perfect in that sense. She also wants to be this powerful person, the power that has been taken from her her entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a disastrous home life as a child. She goes into the working world, isn't finding much there. She's a data entry person. But through Corpse Girl, she's able to obtain a power, a greater sense of self. And that's what's so intoxicating for her later on when we get to the come. Um, when we get to the come, um, when we get to the coming, um, like that's the euphoria. That's like becoming this greater being, this greater ideal. Yeah, like um, she's that's not, such a core part of this. She's not literally getting off on the idea that she killed someone. It's the idea of the power that she now believes herself to wield, basically. Mm-hmm. And this plays into like all the. Um, mental health issues that she experiences because it's all about being a sort of less than person and trying to escape from that and that's a really common issue i think for people of the younger generation today not being able to achieve a greater sense of self a greater ideal Mm -hmm. and move forward with all those things so it's not even just the fact that like mental illness does shape this dynamic don't get me wrong but the mental illnesses are directly attached um, to sort of real issues that people that may not have um, mental illnesses or issues to the degree within these areas would have experienced, which makes it more relatable to players who haven't experienced mental illness. Mm -hmm. And this whole core dynamic, this whole idea. And and as I said, like there's this whole corpse part factory um, hustle mentality aspirational mentality that sort of forms the structure of the entire game like that is noriko's ambition noriko's chasing of a higher self and the resolution of this at the end and we can talk about this is sort of her coming to terms with who she is as herself right so yeah. Anyway, that was a long ramble. That hopefully, I Noriko need that needs that kind of unpacking. She is so central to what this story is that I apologize that we've not moved the story at all. But you need to kind of like Noriko is a character that needed this moment uh, because everything that she is is so core to what this story is, uh, and so much of what this game does right um, is dependent on her character being as well written as it is that we kind of needed to take that moment to pump the brakes, to talk about, uh, Noriko and really elaborate on how well put together she is. So, uh, I'm sorry if, if, if we bored anybody there, but that was something that needed to happen because this character is so important to this story. Um, so, I think it's neat bringing up the um, the opening as well, actually, because I didn't yeah, think about right, yeah, yeah, that. like I like the first time I watched that opening. Like my favorite anime OP ever is um is is the song from Elfin Lead. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Lilium. Mm-hmm. Uh, this yeah. this song actually completely replaced that for me. I I love this song so much. So yeah, <laughs> great job, Alex Shea on the soundtrack. Uh, it's it's absolutely fantastic. This is probably a bad time. Oh, sorry, nerd. Um, yeah, I was just gonna mention that I've never seen the opening because <laughs> I haven't opened the game. I watched it entirely on your stream, Polly. I'm sorry. I'll go do it right now. No, don't do it right now. You're on, you're on a podcast, you dingus. 
I have opinions right. in, in one minute thirty when it's done. There um, you go. Like, so, so my my stance with all these, like especially when playing games like this, I want to go in as blind as possible, even Absolutely. from openings which tend to spoil things. And mm-hmm. of course, it's going to show some GGs. It's going to spoil something. I own the art book before I played the game, and I'm like need to not look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was trying not to take anything in, but I wanted to experience it anyway. So I'm going through it, and I'm like, I'm, I didn't clock again. I didn't clock that Noriko was the main character, despite being throughout the entire opening. That's how that's how good my I don't want to be spoiled <laughs> shield is. But the thing I took away most from it, because um, because even it seems like. Um, Tomoe punching her. I didn't clock that that would be Tomoe. I didn't. I didn't remember her. But like, just oh, that's another, that could be an altercation later after her identity yeah. discovered or something. Yeah. But what I took from it, the thing I took most was the scene in the underground um, train station, right? Because that was a lot of bodies. Like, what's that? And especially when yeah, when we didn't know that there was no cycle, uh, no um, supernatural. It was like that looks pretty fucking supernatural. That, that is just, a lot of dead bodies. Yeah, a lot of dead bodies <laughs> sitting there with a knife in your neck. Your eyes are blacked out. What's happening, ma'am? Ma'am, can I talk to you for a moment? Because at the time, with no context, I thought that that's a city dead. That's not right? just like a few people. In yeah. a, that, that's like no, no. She's gonna kill. She's well, the, the corpse god will wipe out cities. <laughs> that's where I thought <laughs> this is gonna go. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, very effective. Yeah, very effective opening. It's 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 so so good. Um, so 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 as mentioned, Noriko works at at, at as a data entry uh, job. Uh, she's she's got a couple of, of, of people that she interacts with on the regular. Uh, we've mentioned her a few times uh, uh, before, but we'll go ahead and well, let's crack open the nut that is Tomoe, since I feel that she is kind of like uh, of the two characters we're about to meet, the the most important. Of the two, yes, that girl. Uh, Tomoe is, girl. is is immediately like this brash kind of rude. Like you could tell, she's got a fucking chip on her shoulder about Noriko. Like she sees Noriko as this like uppity, uptight person who's just gorgeous and is just like out to steal everything from her or something. She's got a it's it's an amazingly sized chip on her shoulder. A um, lot of lot, lot of uh, animosity there. Um, but and she's yeah, a character she's- that I think that like. You're you're kind of supposed to hate for a while at first, right? Because she just comes off as this oh, yeah. total like whatever. I'm a valley girl, bitch. I'm gonna fuck you up. You know, she comes off yeah, as that unprompted. It was just like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, like <laughs> what, what is your the problem? Fuck? What what did I do to you? Um, and, I feel and, like um, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, but but, um, but like I like how we kind of gradually open up to her. We don't get a lot of her backstory, unfortunately. Um, we don't find out much about, like, why she is the way she is, but what we do find out about her is just, like, this is another character who, much like Noriko, does, like, like I think that, like, doesn't feel like she's enough. Um, uh, and maybe there's a lot of, like, 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 she is embarrassed of herself to some degrees, um, that we, we, we sort of discover, like, what, you know, she's, she's a brash person, and that's largely due to how she was raised, and, like, she overcompensates that, or tries to cover it up with this attitude that she has toward people, and, um, it made her a much more dynamic character than I thought she would end up being, because she really comes off as she's just gonna be that pain in your ass, uh, the whole time, but there's actually a lot of warmth to her character. Um, and I'll toss, I'll, I'll, I'll toss it to Cap because I know that you are Tomoe's ride or die bitch. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wh- how you feeling um, about first, Tomoe? Um, the first point of my analysis is that Tomoe is the best girl. I, 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 um, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, of course, we got to start with that. Um, but second, I feel like um, what Tomoe is meant to like archetypically fill in this game is the archetypical normie. So, like, Noriko's kind of like the goth uh, goth witch sort of of bitch. 
Well, whereas um, uh, Tomoe is meant to represent like this polar opposite of what Noriko is meant to represent. Yeah. And and I think that's pretty much, yeah. It, first of all, we're supposed to help us like emphasize, empathize with Noriko's perspective, but it's also supposed to illustrate to us how like a relatively normal sort of like out of the way person could be drawn into this perspective. As I said earlier, when we were discussing the prologue, Tomoe sort of represents the, the moral dynamic. She's the moral core of uh, Corpse Factory, uh, simply because like uh, she initially she becomes more empathetic with Noriko. Uh, she begins to relate to him. They, they realize each other. They like each other as human after the whole Shinya thing sort of passes over. There's this sort of initial animosity to show like how distinct they are. But really, after that, they come together and Tomoe is like, oh, well, this girl is Corpse Girl and she's going to help my boyfriend Shinya with this. Um, and I feel like the class hierarchy here is important. Our executive boss is sexually harassing my boyfriend and Corpse Girl can do justice yeah. to her. Yeah. Right. And then after that, like Tomoe gets involved. And she ends up in this position where, like, before, there's sort of this justice, like, there's something in society that is wrong, like, these people higher up are exploiting us, and we're, like, low down, and we can't do anything about it, and we have, like, shitty lives. But there's this sense, like, when she's in it, it's like, oh, wait, we're just kind of killing a lot of people. I don't know if I'm comfy with this. I feel like this is, uh... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's uh, getting a little too hot. I think I'm ready to just get that. Everything, everybody around yeah. me is literally crazy. I think I need to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of meant to, it, she kind of mirrors, and this is kind of a weird thing to mirror the dynamic of the average visual novel reader. She's a fucking valley girl, but yeah. she's the best because she's meant to mirror like our kind of attitudes towards Noriko um, well, first of all, like she sets up the dynamic for us of like, we need to protect Noriko. But after that, she kind of shows our warming up to Noriko yeah. and a realization of what, how deep her issues are and things like that and becoming friends. But then after that, we realize like, oh, this is bad, right? <laughs> I forgot. This is bad. This is a bad thing we're doing. Okay. Yeah. Pull it out. Yeah. 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 She, she, she gets a conscience. Well, she, I feel she always had a conscience. I just think that. She was real well, good at ignoring it for a while. Uh, I don't think I don't think that she yeah, she definitely had a conscience. In fact, that's sort of the point. Like her sense of justice was invoked by her defending her boyfriend and fighting this authority figure that like that's the classic sort of like just setup. Mm. That's the kind of dynamic that she and Noriko have been fighting against. Like within their lives, like Noriko doesn't have this sense of like identity and Tomoe is kind of the same way. That's why like being Shinya's girlfriend is so important to her. Oh yeah. Like, she yeah. doesn't have much else. Like she does. She feels like this lesser person. Yeah. She becomes, being like, that able becomes to, like, her entire life. Yeah. And yeah, but like she sees the appeal of corpse girl simply through this power to challenge authority figures that are kind of keeping them down. But then she realizes like, wait, that's not really the point of this project. This project's mostly for Noriko's sense of power, yep. not us collectively. This is not for the greater good or anything. It has nothing and so to do. even though she likes Noriko, it becomes this thing where it's like, well, <laughs> like, I like Noriko, but this is messed up. 
Yeah. I think actually there's a there's a different layer to it as well because I think we see we see her start off and she's like she sees Noriko as just one of those bitches taking things from her like she sees most of the upper the upper ranks, um, but it's when Noriko starts doing things for her like um, confiding in her like when she when she thinks she's guilty of the death like as she's saying no it's not your fault the website can't do that blah like she really takes that to heart um, but they, they bond over that what gets her out of it is when Noriko starts like ignoring her and then her actual qu- quoted reason is. Um, because all these all these bodies are happening, all these horrible murders are happening on such a scale, but they're not their murders. There were the um, the, the other the other re- groups, yeah, the, the human, yeah, the human removal removal service, yeah. And that when Noriko is caught, she'll go down for them as well. And because it's now on that scale, they will go down with her. And yeah. she's like, eh. <laughs> so, I'm not about, it wasn't even the ethics. I'm not <laughs> about going to like, jail for this shit. Yeah, the stakes are higher now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I would just want to draw something in that I'm seeing in the chat here. They're talking about um, Tomoe's weird natural talent for corpse curling. And this idea, like, <laughs> yes! she comes up with all these great ideas. Yes! And that's, it's partially because she's, like, weirdly detached mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. circumstance. Like, she's not thinking in the same headspace as Noriko or Kojiro, where it's, like, this, like, it's almost like Norco and Kojiro are too into corpses um, that they don't even know what to be scared of with regards to corpses. Yeah. So um, yeah. Tomoe br- really brings that out. And I mean, obviously, there are sections of the game where Noriko doesn't like corpses, but I mean, she likes the idea of corpses, just not the smell. Yeah. Uh, oh, she's yeah. not a fan of corpses the first time she gets a whiff of one. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's a fun mm-hmm. scene. <laughs> But yeah, I, th- I just thought I'd bring that in from the chat since they were talking. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really, really good point. Like her detachment from everything, and just the way that she's so good at all of the things that make the corpse girl service so good ended up being her ideas. Such a good little twist. Um, but um, so, so, so. Uh, then we have Shinya. Uh, we'll move on from Tomoe for now. She, we're going to be talking about her a few more times, but I think we've pretty much kind of covered her role for now. Uh, Shinya is probably, like, maybe the least to do with the story, though he is kind of attached to a central figure that is, you know, his dad being an investigator and kind of prying around, but not being super good at it, apparently. Um... Uh, but Shinya is just kind of like this boy that Noriko thinks, oh, he he totally he wants me so bad, but he really doesn't. But he wants to be good friends, and then he ends up going out with Tomoe. Like I I feel like like Shinya is one of those characters that's like though he's got things going on in the story, such as be, you know like the sexual harassment, and then that that you know inflating the 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 justice boner that everybody gets for killing people with the murder website. Um, there's not a whole lot else for him in the story other than being Tomoe's boyfriend. Um, uh, not a lot of read on him. Uh, what about you, people? How do you feel about that? He's a, he's a very utility character. Yeah. He's the, I mean, because it, was, it was fascinating the way he was used, especially he was set up as like the dorky, like, oh, it's this nerd guy who's into the goth girl. And like, yeah. oh, he's being super creepy. He wants to be friends on Facebook. And, and like, oh, he's going to be like, oh, have you not, you know, he's going to push the friend request and this, that, and the other. And we were so set up to be like, Oh, he's gonna be a problem. He's gonna be a creeper, and it's just like, no, yeah. he likes Tomoe. And 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 then like later, like because we we don't see it, this happens off screen, but like when it comes onto the, the sexual harassment thing, and like yeah. we assume it's we assume it's Tomoe because yeah. she's super hypersexual, and she's like, no, he's really sweet. Like he hasn't pressured me at all, like everyone else does. So actually, what? I'm super into him for that. <laughs> and it's just like, what? It's 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 again the game swerving you in ways that you don't 
think it's going to happen. Like, I didn't see, like, the office sexual harassment thing coming until we were, like, maybe two scenes away from them actually confronting it because it was just, like, I just thought, like, oh, Tomoe, of course. She's maybe a little brash for the boy. Maybe, you know, she, we need to ask her to back off of him a little bit. Because he's, you know, hey, intercourse? How, what, what do I do? How do you intercourse? Um, which is not what he says, really. He's just like, yeah, hey, what if I'm being pressured to have sex? Like, what do you do? And, you know, we all think, oh, Tomoe, come on, calm down, girl, down. Uh, and then it turns out to be, you know, an upper-level executive, and it's just like, that's, oh, my God. That is not okay. No! I, I, love, I love this comment. <laughs> Maybe this is the red flag, first red flag we should have noticed, that she's not good at reading people. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Agree. Yeah, probably. Should have spotted that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a hint. Um, one thing, another, more on the fact that uh, Shinya is a utility character mm-hmm. is yes, early on in the game he helps set up these dynamics and um, things like that, and like those little twists are fun. But later on in the game, he's kind of like the legal soul of the game, and that's set up at the beginning of him being like, "Oh, I'm, I'm following all these cases." I'm My really dad's cool. the best investigator. Um, I'm, I want to, yeah. I want to be cool just like him. Which kind of makes his um, relationship with what is meant to be, in my eyes at least, the moral core of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of interesting mm-hmm. because obviously like this whole thing is dancing over the edge of the law so <laughs> <Yeah>. much <laughs> and shinya is the one that's like all about the law and he gets actually involved in the legal side of this story mm-hmm. which is kind of like just adjacent and in, in the background but he keeps us updated about how things are going you yeah. know yeah um and that kind of I- helps uh, it's kind of interesting at the end that tomoe and shinya appear to have some rockiness to their relationship probably because tomoe danced over the line and danced back it's meant to represent like that sort of yeah um yeah weirdness in terms of the moral issue versus the legal issue but eventually tomoe dances back over the line and in the end of the game gets get together with shinya yeah but uh yeah i guess that's kind of meant to represent like that is kind of his core in the story but you're right to say he's a utility character he definitely helps demarcate the sort of moral beats as we go throughout, um, which fits with him being Tomoe's partner. Um, so, yeah. I, I so wanted him to be the reason the police didn't get very far because he's all involved in this stuff. And I, I wanted it to be like, he's going through all the data and going like, Icky's pointing to this girl in Oracle, but I know it's not her. I'll just, I'll just remove I'll just, that. Nah, Something nah. like that. Can't be, can't be, can't be little puddin' pop Noriko. Nah. She's too cute. <laughs> She's too sweet. Um, but yeah, like that, that, that yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Shinya was my least favorite character of the of the entire mm-hmm. the entire game. Like up in the detective, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did some stuff that I couldn't like actually understand and it felt like it was kind of forced. Mm-hmm. Like for example, when he goes on a date with her and then and she's like, Please get him, get me out of here and stuff like that. That was that was odd. That was kind of odd. And I guess we were, we will get to that part later. <laughs> and um Towards the end of the game, I I don't know. I, I feel like w- what he, what he did there was kind of forced. So I don't know. It, it felt like a like a character that was kind of weak on the on the writing side for me at least. Yeah, yeah. Like I feel like they they like he when I talked to the writer, he said he really did want to dig more into Shinya's character, but just it's one of those things like when you're writing a big thing like this, you're just not going to have time to hit everything. You're going to just basically hit your point at some point where this thing needs to just get done. 
Um, yep. And I think that that's probably why Shinya's character probably uh, suffered a little bit. Uh, but he works good as utility and getting things where they need to be when they need to be. It's just his story, his his personal story doesn't really impact things much. But he cannot compete with the other large personalities that we have uh, in this game. Yeah, I think it's important. It's important to keep in mind that just he needed to be in the story. You couldn't just take him out. Yeah, he can't be taken out, no, because some things just do not work without his presence. Um, Shinya so, is the glue. Yes, he is kind of a glue that does hold thing, things uh, together. So um, during all this, we also get introduced to uh, Aoi, who has a bit of a troubled work situation. Um and that uh, she like, 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 she has a job that she can't quit because her boss will will call the police. This seemed weird. I didn't quite understand the reasons for her not being able to quit uh, because she's being yeah. harassed by people and her boss won't let her quit. But um, but Shinya basically offers to get her a job uh, and he succeeds in doing that. And that's kind of how we end up later down the line with Shinya being pressured by this executive in that like he gets her the job but she doesn't show up because she has other issues that uh keep her from being able to function properly in society um and that's why shinya gets cornered it's just like oh well I, you, I went all this trouble to get this girl this job for you you vouched for her and now she can't come in and do the job well we're just going to make sure that you can't advance in this company anymore unless maybe <laughs> Maybe, maybe, take pants off. <laughs> maybe a little bit of that nerd Willie, uh, and uh, we'll talk, we'll talk. Um, but we also, uh, uh, we also have um, Noriko taking her first uh, request. Like we actually see her do the request uh, for uh, this person who ends up being Akane Tsuramaki, uh, which is a woman that works at the, uh, we don't know that yet, but it's just like, oh, here's a, a request. I'm going to show you exactly how I do it. I'm going to make the corpse photo. I'm going to send it. I've got these burner phones that I use to send the, the message to the person. I like keep the phone around for 24 hours and I ditch the phone, blah, yada, yada, yada. And, and she does that. She sends the photo off, like, and, and we're just made to think, okay, like, this is what's going to happen. And hey, guess what? Guess what? Turns out it worked. Akane Sudamaki actually ends up dead, and she, uh, our girl Noriko, finds this out while she's at work. And uh, we 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 reach the point of our outline where uh, a flat cap made sure that I um, uh, made a note that says in bold lettering, "Come one." <laughs> so this is interesting. Uh, Noriko gets the gets uh, gets the the news notification that somebody actually died from what she did, and we're we're kind of made to believe that like, well, if you do this all the time, why is it a big deal? No, this is like literally the second time this has worked in a year. She's done this a lot, but this is literally the second time that it has worked in a year, and so she needs to get out of the office. She needs to get some pace private because things are bubbling up a little bit. Norco is about to have a uh, special moment, and um, I want to call attention to this particular scene because I feel that there was a level of restraint written that this scene was written with that is so fucking admirable. Um, Noriko essentially has a hands-free orgasm. Like, 
in the bathroom just because yeah, because it worked. She killed someone. She just realized she has all this power in the world. Girl, let's go. And this is never presented in any explicit manner. The language used in this scene and the way that it is described, I was sitting there having to read it and I was literally having to fan myself because it was literally <laughs> like, this is actually way hotter for some reason. Um, I, I want, I, if I could play an, a, a hentai visual novel that w- was written as good as this orgasm scene is, I would. Like, they don't even get explicit about it. Like, every way you can dance around having to say, like, the real explicit stuff, every tool in the toolbox was used to make this, like, a very both erotic scene, but it was tasteful as fuck, and I would absolutely play a visual novel with prose that fucking good. You know, what? I absolutely agree because obviously I had to I had to read this out as well, and I usually get I usually kind of go, mm, I don't want to read that out, and I'm like, I'm okay, I can read this out, this is fine, I can I can I can I can read into this, like, hmm, yeah, just the, the writing incredible, yeah. No, mm-hmm. yeah, and that again points to the idea that the scene isn't so much about it being you know saucy, it's about um, it's about the euphoria that she gets from it's it, the, the sense of power. But I think that euphoria ignites that eroticism. In, like, there, like I think that this is a scene that is literally having its cake and eating it too. Like, you're getting to do everything. You're getting the point across that Noriko is like getting off on this euphoric, newfound power she believes herself to have, but also come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, also, it like, definitely treads along. Yeah, and, the, and then and also like you get the second time, and it's not just oh like it wasn't as good as the first time. You feel it's not as good as the first yeah. time because it's not written as good as the first yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. That blew me away because that was so damn smart. Like the language is so mundane that second time because the second time that it happens for her, you know, she escapes to the bathroom and it's just waiting for it. It's just like there's no build here. It's not happening the same way. It's just okay. It's gone. Yeah, okay. It's kind of that. It's almost like a drug ecstasy escalation. Yeah. You constantly need bigger and bigger in order to see, re- like, like reach the same heights. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Also, I-, I noticed people are talking about this in chat, and I just want to put a pin in it so we don't forget. Um, a- you mentioned Owie and the whole um, uh, cafe thing about being mistreated there. Yeah. And people in the chat are suggesting that maybe Owie was being dishonest about that. That so is true. To- so when we get to Aoi's section, we're going to talk about um, how, how truthful Aoi's being Aoi's throughout these things. The, truthful, yeah. the truthfulest little pudding pop ever. Look at her smile. She's adorable. <laughs> but yeah, like, I love the way that this story plays with eroticism in these few instances. And just like, because it, it was not an angle I expected. Um, but, but, but it's very well done and it makes total sense. Um, and, and, and just like those, both of those scenes kind of countering one another being the height of ecstasy and then just kind of, this is just, yeah, just mundane, just whatever, man, (laughs) was not as good, but, 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 but prior to that second time, we are introduced to 
another person who I think is going to become a big part of this story. Run into a weirdo in the library. Reading, we're just trying to find books to read, and this weirdo with glasses and a tie and a scruffy beard comes up to us. It's like, hey, baby, do you like me? Or something like <laughs> that, I'm sure. That's basically how he sounds, right? The, the thing I love <laughs> about Kojiro's introduction <laughs> is how distinct it is from Shinya's introduction. Yes. So, as we know, Shinya is an awkward um, sweetie boy. Yes. Um, but he approaches things in a different way. Shinya's just kind of like the awkward guy in high school who's trying to ask a girl out on a date is your first impression of him. Mm-hmm. But, like, Kojiro genuinely is that creepy guy that approaches you at a McDonald's um, for change. <laughs> oh, <the> God. <laughs> like, he's just, um, he's a much, he, he definitely comes across as a strange character. Like, there's a certain logic you can p- apply to, like, uh, <laughs> uh, a Shinya, right? Like, in real life, you know what a Shinya's like. He's an awkward boy. He's trying his best. He might come across a little creepy. But he's he's an overeager, but he's yeah. doing his best. But Kojiro is generally like a strange guy, which you're not sure which way he's gonna go. <laughs> and then he immediately stops starts talking about um his corpse novels, because he's real cool like yeah, that. He did. What a great way to pick up girls. Hey, you like corpse novels? I mean like real corpse novels, you know, like where you play with corpses and stuff. That's fun, right? Mm-hmm. And he introduces her to an author named Nobel St. Clair, which maybe that's a name we should keep uh, tucked away in our hats for a little while. He's got a, and that is an artist that is obsessed with corpses and the dead and how you can, like, have social experiences with corpses in public if you just dress them up and stuff. Huh. I like the way that we never, we never go into that. Like, how did he do this? When did he do it? Where did he do it? Like, did he take corpses to dinner? And how did no one ever find out? Like, how is that so weird, man? Oh, no, no, characterization, like, compared to, to, compared to, to, to Shinya, like, Shinya is like, yeah, this, this shy, awkward um, person, whereas Kojiro is very much like Redditor. He's mm-hmm. very much like, he's got, he's, yeah, he's internet speak, he's like, soz. soz. You know, he's, he's, he's the kind of person who would say lol. <laughs> oh, God, thing, yeah. yeah. Like, if he wasn't saying soz, he would be saying lol a lot. Like, soz threw me off for the longest time because I've literally never heard that before. So it was like, I yeah. spent like the first stream with Kojiro, like, what are you saying to me? <laughs> yeah. But it's, like, it's just a different kind of awkward, but still the same. I don't know how to talk to girls, just. Yeah. Approached it differently. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another thing about Kojiro is, um, and enough, this distinguishes him from Shinya as well, is he has awkward confidence. And this comes up further in this game as you see, like, the depths of this man and what he's willing to do to get what he wants. Oh, and we'll man. be talking about more of that in his act. Like, it just kind of brings off the impression. That, like, of course, like, at first he's like, yeah, this guy's kind of weird, and I probably wouldn't want to be in a room alone with him. Mm-hmm. But by the second act where you're actually experiencing, like, his inner thoughts and what he's capable of, um, you're like, okay, I definitely don't want to be in a room with you. He is, um, <laughs> he uh, yeah, is such <laughs> he is such a presence in this game that continued to confound and surprise me in so many ways. Just like, and again, that awkward confidence, just like, but never like super pushy about anything. I think what it is, is like, he's confident in who he is, yeah. which is a guy who likes corpses. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. 
<laughs> I actually disagree with that. Really? <laughs> yeah, the idea oh, that he's confident yeah, yeah. in who he is. Um, in fact, I think he's less confident in who he is so much as he is deadened to the world. He has almost taken on the characteristics of a corpse. It doesn't matter um, how people react to him. Um, and I think this plays out because obviously later on in the story, and we'll see this at the very end, we find out that Kojiro is a little loose with his sense of identity. Mm. And I feel like um, that when it comes to Kojiro, he's almost, what, almost like what Noriko could become if she went down this road continuously. And we can almost see that a little bit in the, like, the false ending, yeah, where yeah. she like, starts doing what Nobel Sinclair, um, who's unrelated to Kojiro, obviously. Um, yeah. Obviously. Um, <laughs> she starts doing what Nobel Sinclair would do with that corpse, right? Mm -hmm. So she kind of falls into the same camp. So uh -huh. Kojiro isn't necessarily confident in himself. He's just kind of fallen into this set of behavior. And that's why I like this analogy of him being like a deadened person. He takes identities and throws them away, like costumes. He's not even like a full person anymore. Mm. He is a corpse. That's that's a pretty fucking good read there. I like that a lot. What about you, Nami? Where where were you feeling? Like how how does uh, how does our boy Kojiro, good boy Kojiro, come off to you? Yeah, for the very first part of the game, uh, uh, until about like a half of the game, he was like my favorite. I I thought that Kojiro was being like a super fucking attractive guy and I, I i would that would definitely for, fall for him or something <laughs> i mean look look, 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 look we are not saying kojiro isn't attractive and that each and every one of us would not sleep with him despite like we're not talking about his actions right now we're just saying look i'd bone down yeah honestly like kojiro is basically one of like one of my types which is weird because shinya is also one of my types <laughs> um, I like the sweetie boy and I like the lightly scruffled nerd boy just kind of awkward uh, I just don't like him you know being into corpses kind of a turn off uh, just Not a little really bit can't have a boyfriend that's into corpses that's a little awkward that's a little awky but a girlfriend that's there you go that'd be fine that's fine <laughs> Um, but, 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 yeah, like this, this, this guy is, uh, he, he is a he's little, little bit of a weirdo at first. And, you know, you really don't know how to take him. And then there's sort of this slow courtship that happens over the course of a few days where, oh, uh, this guy knows Noriko's secret already. Um, that was the weirdest part, I think, like, like, you kind of knew that there was something else going on there, like how, how he would know, like, from the from the beginning, mm -hmm. and you could tell that he was like uh, pretending not to know. I don't know. I, I think that was kind of that kind of gives you like a like the feel that there there was something else going on with the character. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because I, I feel like part of it was yeah, because we, we later, of course, we found out that he's seen her before. So, yeah. he was, so that's probably why he approached her. That is exactly why. Um, like, he approached her with intent because he knew who she was. Pretty soon, yeah. He, 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 knew, he knew what she looked like and that she, that she reminds him of, of, his, of his ex. Um, I think, like, her, her general aesthetic is probably why he thought maybe she'll be into corpses and slide the book across. Um, 
but he didn't know who she was. He didn't know that he, she was Corpse Girl until she stepped up. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm there is sure this actor. That. You have to remember um, all of Noriko's sort of. I don't want to say all of her psychosis comes from this, but in part, like the trigger was finding that corpse in that apartment, and yeah. Kojiro put it there, and he definitely knew that she was moving into an apartment where he left a corpse. Yeah, no, so yeah, that could yeah. be that could be yeah, another yeah, yeah. bit of confidence there. Like I don't think he like one hundred percent knew he was Corpse Girl or she was Corpse Girl, mm. but like. Uh, there's a bit of a hunch there that she might be into corpses, considering yeah. she moved into that apartment and didn't tattle um, on him. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, now you put it that way. Yeah, hundred percent. She was in there. Probably should have found the corpse, but no one's. The police haven't been Nobody there. Nobody said anything. <laughs> like it's just kind of like this weird thing where it's like, well, nobody said anything on the news about a corpse being found by somebody. So this girl probably knows something and is maybe being a little weird. Um, but she slips up real big when she like 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 in a later scene when she drops a book um, that's about uh, that's also about corpses. It's not about corpses specifically. It's more about photo manipulation. Um, it was and, his book. <laughs> yeah, and it was his book, yeah. and it's just like oh, and that's where he kind of like he puts it together. They have this like like Norco thinks that she's playing this cat and mouse game with somebody who already has just got her figured out top to bottom. Like he knows he's just playing along. He's like that. That's a thing you learn is that like he's just playing along a lot. Um, yeah, that's an awkward confidence again. He yeah. just kind of like uh-huh. maintains a wall. It's yeah. really hard to read him, mm-hmm. but he keeps on because it gave so many amazing twists. Because you'll think like he's he can't know, he cannot possibly know. No shit, that's the reason he knows. He can't possibly know this though. Yeah. No wait, that's the reason he knows. I can love that. Yeah, it's it's such it's such a good faux pursual, Uh because like she gets like, like they get to a point to where they like they have coffee together and they're talking more and more about it and she's let the guard down quite a bit at this point and like on the way out she kisses him on the cheek to kind of try to seduce him to kind of like lull him under her spell and then it's just like he already knows and he's just playing it completely straight and it's such a unique and interesting little like mini courtship I guess it's great because later on he even admits that to himself. That yeah, like, like a thing he said was just like, "No, no, she thought she had me," and I'm just like, "Well, this is more attention than I've had from her for in fucking ages." I'm gonna play along with it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you got me. You got me. <laughs> yeah, and, and she eventually just confesses that she's corpse girl, and 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 he reveals that like he's the one that requested uh, a dude's death because that's how he got her to slip up is that he requested a death. And that he just kind of put out, like, a lot of prodding questions to her through back and forth social media messages. And then eventually it's just like, yeah, like, this. there was never any doubt in his mind, but he wanted her to slip up anyway. Because it's all part of the ruse. Like, like it's all part of the act. Was he in love with Noriko, or was he in love with Corpse Girl? Both. I think neither. You you think neither? I I think it's both. Well, it's he, kind of a shaky dynamic to begin with. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I think it stems from the fact that he starts almost falling for Tomoe. He's just like, fucking, you know what anyone would do? Fucking anyone. He, he was after Shizuko, he was after Narco because she looked at Shizuko. I think he had no idea who Copsco really was. Mm. Or maybe he had an idea. We don't really know. But I think it just, he was after fucking anyone. Anyone who would have him. 
But right. she's, Wait. she's the kind of one that looks the prettiest for him, so. Well, yeah. But I was talking about Kojiro, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. I disagree. It definitely involves, like, this weird dynamic with him and that corpse he put in that room and how mm. close they look together. I don't yeah. think it was just anyone. Like, t- that's why he's, like, so normal almost and, and she has been very like clearly she makes you know she very clearly makes uh alludes to the fact that like she has been making herself look try to look more and more like the, the corpse girl that she found so it, 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 you know like if she's been trying to model herself after this woman that kojiro was in love with then like it, you know I, I, mm-hmm. that's that's sort of why i feel yeah. it's both yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think that's super important. I think the only because there's something I brought up in the my my post credit thing is is that makes so much sense. Except for the first time he saw her and fell in love with her, she hadn't met Chizuko yet. Right. So she already looked like her just by coincidence. Mm-hmm. But then then styled herself more. Yeah, like her. right, a nice right, right. So it's, it, it, again, it's probably a shaky thing. I think that yeah. this is actually an interesting moment to bring back that ideal versus the self dynamic mm-hmm. because when we think about when i bring up when i brought up earlier that um kojiro has like a shaky sense of identity um he's kind of been like i want to emphasize that he's been kind of down the same path that noriko has been before in terms of like chasing this sort of weird corpse ideal experimenting with corpses bringing them out to dinner things like that mm-hmm. and he's almost like he's so attracted to her just because of the Shizuko thing and how he's related to that ideal of her because he had clearly an experience with her in one of his identities of which she was an idealized person like she's basically set, he like sets her up as a shrine yeah but that and also within his Nobel Sinclair identity he's acting as kind of a mentor and this sort of broken sense of identity between the two feeds into him both being attracted to the idea of corpse girl the concept that her she is chasing a similar ideal to him and noriko that sort of replacement shrine ideal right so there you go okay yeah because i think i feel like this is interesting things going on with because when he describes shizuko quite late on he does actually say that she was what kept him away from his macabre interest so he was interested in her not because she resembled a corpse or anything like that he does say a few times that noriko could stand to eat more <laughs> so he's not he's mm, not into her yeah being yeah cool. yeah 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 so that that's kind of like the um that's kind of the dissonance between his identity like i feel yeah. like there was a time when kojiro was once pretty much in the same shoes as noriko trying to chase something unique and higher for himself through these nobel sinclair corpse experimentations mm-hmm. then he kind of got off that train tried to settle down had this experience with shizuko and that's sort of the dissonance of identities within his head. And when we experience Kojiro in Act 2, he's mostly in the Shizuko space. But there is also, like, obviously the Nobel Sinclair space. And it's actually kind of interesting that he goes through, like, this traumatic experience and he switches identities after that. He goes back into the Nobel Sinclair space. So clearly something must have happened to him when he was Nobel Sinclair, perhaps just meeting Shizuko that snapped him out of that identity, made him chase something else. And then he felt deadened when Shizuko like died. She made the shrine for her, sees Noriko, tries to revive himself through Noriko, is unable to, literally goes through like a sacrificial ritual and cutting off his arm, 
we'll get to that. No, oh yeah, uh, that's a that is a scene in and of thing. itself. Holy <laughs> shit! And then, like through that whole trauma, he dies again in his like that identity dies again, and he comes back as Nobel Sinclair. And it kind of represents this DID thing that Noriko is going through in an almost more advanced state. Right. So it, it's like. This would be Noriko's future if she kept doing this. Right. Yeah. Right. If she and didn't like entrap herself. And it's actually bad at the end of the game that we end up in this scenario where like Noriko's about to get out. She's about to have her. She's so Chisico close. Moment. She's so She's about close. to get back to Normo. And then Kojiro gives her a call and it's like, hey, you want to go back in? Let's get the band this? back together. Let's go. Because <laughs> he still has that little bit of like Shizuko personality in the back, I guess. Right, right. Um, and I, there. I think that that is such a fitting and cool ending for the game because I feel that it's just like you can like, I feel it's just kind of like a, the thriller stinger of like, you cannot escape what you've done. Like you may have bettered yourself, but you did some fuck shit and it's going to haunt you. And it kind of also resembles that that sort of trap that we're all in, in the sense. Like, I bring right. up this sort of hustle mentality, the sort of capitalistic pursuit of the self through, like, manufactured production that I brought up with the factory thing at the start. Mm -hmm. We're all trapped in that kind of loop where we're trying to pursue different ideals of self at different points in our lives. And we're being driven to do that so hard and it almost impinges upon us mentally, sometimes to the point of mental illness. And that that's the loop we're all caught in. It may not have to do with corpses, but it's still, it it's still damning upon the soul. You know what I mean? Right. Sorry to get profound, but you know. No, I, I think that that's actually kind of like the read you like that fits the most. Um. But but basically, you know, kind of popping back on track, like things go well for Corpse Girl. Like she gets things going once her and Kojiro get things going. Tomoe, as we said, gets roped into this. The band's kicking, the band's going. And, and eventually at a certain point, though, like Noriko begins to spiral in a very bad way. Um, and, 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 and it's because she's like, Getting high on her own shit, basically, is that, like, you know, she's bought into this idea that she has this power, despite the fact that everything that's happened is, you know, it's still man-made, like, you know, but, but, but she kind of, like, she started to reach the outer boundaries of sanity at this point in the story, which, which really gets exacerbated after uh, a meeting with Aoi, um... And that is when things kind of start really going off the track, when the two kind of get together. They haven't talked in a while. Get, get, get back together, talk to your friends, and, and, and now it's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, my, my cool new boyfriend is awesome and is going to show up here in a few minutes. And uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't set well, uh, because Noriko mm -hmm. is, uh, has a, like, she goes over this a lot, she has a huge attraction to Aoi. Uh, she had confessed to her in high school, didn't work out. Aoi let her down gently, and that's why they're still friends. But there's obvious friction here. Things have never quite been the same for this relationship. And Noriko kind of always, I guess, labored under the fact that eventually, like, Aoi would eventually be hers. And everything's going great in Noriko's life, and there's this one thing, that the one thing that just spins her right the fuck out 
is finding out that Aoi has a boyfriend, meeting that boyfriend and noticing that he's real, and that's where we kind of end up at the end of Noriko's story where, like, she is completely snapped. She is stripped naked. She has put herself in a body bag. She is in the back of the van. She is belligerent. Uh, it is a weird and uncomfortable scene for all involved. Like, uh, she's just screaming, she wants to go to the morgue because she's corpse girl. And like, Kojiro is just kind of like, oh my, even Kojiro, our boy Kojiro, who is stoic through everything. It's just, what the fuck is this bitch's problem? What has happened? <laughs> the is just all business. He just wants to get on with the uh, the factorying, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And and just like... Yeah, which is, he's advanced past this stage, obviously. He snapped a long time ago. Um, like, like, how at this point... Like, at this point, if I am if I am part of the Mary Corpse Girl squad, and I find that our fearless leader is playing in the back of my corpse van in a, in a naked in a body bag, I'm probably the one that's like, okay, y'all, uh, this is enough for me. I'll catch you later. Later! I'm out! <laughs> mm -hmm. I think this is a good time to talk about the nature of Aoi's relationship with Noriko, at least from the Noriko side. We can talk about the Aoi side. When we yeah, get the to Noriko Aoi, side the is... Like, she really kind of sees Aoi as this, like, like, helpless little, like, this, this helpless little creature that needs her. And it, it, it's, it's almost cute in a way, but then also you kind of, this is kind of toxic, Noriko. Yeah, this is toxic and patronizing, and that plays into how Aoi reacts. And we get a sign of that during her like like critical scene yeah. where she's talking about like some one of her family members like sexually harassing her at work. And Noriko, if you pursue her, like Aoi just gets just. fucking mad that you're trying to yeah. save her ass again. Like, yeah, she's like let me handle things on my own as a human. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that that's fun. Nor fun that even as like the player, like you kind of feel guilty after picking that scene because it's like, yeah, I've kind of been maybe infantilizing uh owie a bit here and it makes you feel bad as a player in that moment like i know that that's what i felt because like I, mean, I chose to pursue because it's like i'm going to help my friends like it's, but it's just like you know maybe maybe i'm kind of looking at her this way and i deserve that yeah <laughs> though at the same much. time oh sorry nerd no, okay. i want to go okay. okay i think you're gonna say the same thing i am <laughs> okay i was just gonna say that it's interesting, though, that even though, like, we feel like we deserve it, it does seem like a bit of an overreaction, like we're missing something in terms of how their relationships are going. Because so far, um, Aoi's been relatively nice. And that gives us a red flag that, oh, maybe Aoi doesn't feel too good about this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that plays more in this whole thing of Aoi being this gentle, uh, I can't do anything on my own girl, plays into this sort of idealization figure of Aoi. Now, I've been talking a lot about the self and the ideal dynamic in this game, and it's very prevalent. I'm just going to keep on putting it into that box because it keeps happening. It won't stop happening. I'm falling down the stairs. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, this idea that back when Noriko was experiencing all this crap with Yuriko and her mom, like trying to commit suicide and all those kind of things that were going on in her life, her escape was pursuing something with like Aoi, this idealized figure in her mind. Right. And this was like her first instance of that being her escape. This is her precursor to Corpse Girl, her originator. This is like her like baseline, her foundation. Mm -hmm. And we can see this at the end of Act One, 
when um, Junpei enters the picture and she meets Junpei, Aoi's boyfriend, which mm-hmm. already Noriko is not happy with. She is not happy. Just immediate. Um, like her inner monologue towards this guy is just immediate seething hatred. Yeah, her ideal oh. is being her ideal is being taken from yep. her. Like this idealized relationship where she goes to the beach with Aoi and they have a fun lesbian time. <laughs> like it, it's not happening, and no. and it's this guy, this otaku mm. fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think that's the reason why we get Jinpei. Not that I'm saying in real life that if you're a chubby otaku s guy that you're a bad guy. No, but. The impression to Noriko is Noriko tries so hard to reach this ideal. She tries to be slender. She tries to be this powerful person. She's corpse girl, god fucking damn it. And this guy is dating the girl that she's dreamed of for this long? This schlub got what I worked for and I put in all this effort. Yeah, like... like it just breaks her, almost, like, immediately. Noriko's like the, 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 the quintessential nice girl. Like that whole foundational thing, like th- that foundational part of her life just shatters. Yep. And that puts her, like, throws her more into the Corpse Girl dynamic. Yeah, she and throws all... herself entirely into Corpse Girl after she gets spun out by this revelation. And all of her, like, hyper idealization and self criticism intensifies to this, like, absurd degree. Like, and that's why it's, like, a mental breakdown. And we see signs of this mental breakdown earlier that she needs to be better, more ideal, more thin. Her lipstick isn't right. She has to make sure it's good. More makeup than is necessary. Things like that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it comes to the breaking point right here. Is that what you wanted to say, Nert? Did they get everything? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, I was interested in the sense that, because I I did pick the um, the chase after, because it said, you know, we're infantilizing her. But at the same time, she was just saying, like, here's my situation. I'm completely helpless. No matter what I do, I'm fucked in every which way. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that is the point where, like, you do need help. You clearly need someone to step in for you. And then she was like... No, how dare you? This is what you do, and I think it also gave us this interesting new seat, seat, um, new um, not scene, new feel of what their relationship is because it was something like you always do this. This is what you did before. We're like, we had no well, idea about that before. We did, then. Well, oh, hmm. And again, like I think that like, it, I think it also could be like sort of the facade of Aoi coming apart. Like she's intentionally giving her these mixed. Uh, these mixed signals of like, man, I need help. I sure do need help. And then the moment she reaches out, like smack her back. Yeah. It, it just definitely gave the sense of like, hey, yeah, a, I was not as cute as happy as she seems, but then also she does have something against Noriko that we've never seen before. So yeah. We just assumed that, that they had a, she had a thing for her and then she was like, no, no, I'll let you down easy. But no, she's, she's got some, she's got some beef. She got some beef and some baggage. But we will get to a bit of that. We have reached the end of Noriko's part of the story. And when we come back, we will, we, we're going to take ourselves a five-minute break or so, get up, stretch out a bit. Um, uh, actually, Polly, I just want to quickly check in. Uh, Nami, do you have anything to add? Oh, yeah. Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. It's, it's like I'm, li- I'm listening to a bunch of experts speak about stuff. Like, I'm, it's like... I just can't add anything to what you're saying. <laughs> Piffle, you can, you can. All yeah, right, get, get in there first, and then we'll just follow, then we'll follow up. <laughs> there you go. There you go. No. I mean, like, the one thing I want to get across here is like this point here, where you know she's she's gone nuts. That came out of nowhere. We got the CG. We had Kodra not taking advantage of it, which is interesting. And then it just fades out, and he goes. End of Act One. End and of Act One. Act One. Yeah, and that's like for me, that was like twelve hours in. 
<laughs> yeah. like, what do you mean act one? What the fuck do you mean act what one? What kind of get? What are you doing to me, video game? What, what, what length are we hitting here? Is this halfway? Is this is this nine tenths away? <laughs> oh god, Lord! At this point, you've, you've got no idea. I mean, so, so the one thing we did skip over is the 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 death of her sister and right. the weird shit around that. But that's, we're going to get to that. We we can get to that actually because that yeah, that's yeah. a that is a fun scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something we skipped in Act One. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's both of the, both of the weird deaths. The um, oh, what was the name? Not Akane, the other one. Uh, the Katomi Ida. Yeah, Katomi. Yeah, like her <laughs> her entire shit. But we can get to that. We can get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Nert will be <laughs> driving the second half of the show, by the way. So, or the second portion. So, oh boy. It'd be fun. <laughs> take, got, like I got, I got, like I started sputtering at the end of the first segment because it was just like it takes a lot of brain power to host a podcast like this, especially like yep, when yep. we're jumping around so much. Uh, so you kind of mm-hmm. gotta. I was just like, okay, guys, like let's take the work off my brain a little bit. Is is Nami back? By the way, is no? Nami back? I wasn't ever going. What? Why didn't you fucking say something, man? Why'd you let us sit here talking? You let us sit here like a bunch of fucking dickheads talking. We are all that. Right. Sure. Sure. Um. All right. Exactly. A surprise, Nami. Uh, All right. So, since we referenced something from Act One, maybe we should just start by nipping that in the bud. Okay. We we will. Let's let's run back. Let's nip that in the bud, and then and then I'll toss to Nert for the second half. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about uh, Yuriko's death. Yeah, Yuriko. Um, Yuriko happens to be. We remember Yuriko from the prologue. Is as 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 the nice young lady that set up Emi Katsuno for uh, to get fired. Um, mm-hmm. and it turns out that Yuriko's last name happens to be Kurosawa. Now, who else do we know might be named Kurosawa? Hmm. All oh, right, our major yeah, protagonist, the director. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, right. One of the most lovely things about the lead up to this mm-hmm. is we have like a lot of like we talk about the lead up to the first like like the first death we see in the prologue, and there is all the, these sort of mechanistic things like bring the car uh, the body to the factory and like we go through the process of making the thing, but the actual death of Emmy is like covered in like three lines yeah like it just kind of like yeah like it just happens noriko wakes up yeah noriko wakes up and tomoe's like yeah it's over we're we're good yeah and that just emphasized how business as usual that was yeah and then we move into something actually important when we talk about yuriko because her death was requested yeah yuriko's death came in as being requested uh, and Noriko kind of balked on this for a little bit. She she was never going to not do it. It's just, no, nah, I need some time to put, like, something real good on this. Um, mm-hmm. Because Nor- Noriko has an established raci- uh, relationship with Yuriko yeah. um, that is pretty bad. Oh, uh, also, yeah. like, basically bad childhood stuff. Yuriko is kind of a bee. And um, also, um, <laughs> we also note that during one of the sequences when um, Noriko's experiencing body dysmorphia, Yuriko is partially held up as like an ideal, similar yeah. to Aoi, actually. Like yeah. she's held up like, I'm not pretty like Yuriko, I'm not pretty like Aoi, and blah, 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 blah. So yeah. she's also kind of jealous of her. Yeah. So when it comes to the actual murder, 
Um, she's kind of excited about it. Actually, has to run in there and see her dead. Yeah, but there is. Um, there's, a- there's an interesting sequence there where we experience like her having almost an imagined confront, like confrontation with her. Yeah. So, and I so- don't. I don't think this is real. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think this is real either. But the, the but the setup for the scene is that like she she put in the request for Yuriko's death. Like the request for Yuriko's death came in and she she granted it and it was going to happen at a house party where they were going to deliver Yuriko her own corpse and uh Kojiro goes to do that and he comes back and is like um you want to see something. You want to <laughs> you're going to want to come see something. They go and then there's a house full of fucking corpses. Loads of people just dead, and she finds Yuriko kind of slammed over behind the couch somewhere. Her throat's It is literally slipped. a corpse party. Yeah, it is literally a corpse party. Um, and she has this imagined conversation with Yuriko in just this calm demeanor, this calm tone of just like, How are you? Oh, you don't look so good right now. That's a shame. You know, and it's it's... Yeah, again, things are fraying for our poor girl. For our poor girl Noriko, uh, this was much different than the previous slay, uh, mass slaying, <laughs> where uh, our girl Katomi Ida, who had been uh, who had been sexually harassing Shinya, uh, Noriko kind of set this one up. She set it up to to be like, you know, hey, I'm going to extort you out of a bunch of money, uh, you know, and you, all you got to do is go to the train platform and stab the first person you see, get on the fucking train and get out of here. Uh, but instead, causes just a whole fucking accident. Uh, there's like 18 bodies everywhere. Uh, just creates a wonderful disaster. So two very large disasters seemingly created by Noriko, except one of them wasn't. Very weird when she goes back in to check on uh, Yuriko again. She fishes her phone out and it's like the text message is like not the one she sent. But it actually had uh, specific instructions for Yuriko to do something. To stab somebody at the party. And that's not Corpse Girl's M.O. So something is fucked up. Something is. Yeah. Something. So, you're, you're, you are reeling from this whole conversations we've had with her dead sister, and like how how successful she is, and like wow, this is this is really flying off the handle. And then an, a different corpse photo. It's a different corpse photo that is handled a different Fuck. way with instructions, and it's just like, well, shit. And she's kind of like torn on the idea of like, well, I have to take credit for it because you know it's fucking corpse girl. If I don't take credit for yeah. it. <laughs> You know, and Corpse it's just Girl like, is written on the body bag. Yeah, and Corpse Girl <laughs> is written on the fucking body bag. So it's like you can't not take credit for it. But now it's just like that's a big fucking hit to her ego. Hmm. Yeah. It's this entire scenario is really interesting, simply because she goes in and she has this imagined conversation, and it's so like it, it's Minnesota nice conversation, as you said. Yeah. It's like, how are you, and stuff like that. But it's very, it's very disdainful. And you yeah. can tell, like, unlike the previous moments where she was, like, coming on the floor, she's experiencing um, a different sort of power here. Yeah. It's not, like, an erotic power, no. but it's a sense of, like, smug superiority. Like, yeah. she's finally triumphed over someone that she's looked down on for so long. Yeah. That has stood in her way, that is, like, and now she's, like, above her in terms of the ideal. So this is, like, very important to her sense of self. Mm-hmm. And it also set up, sets up this dynamic for later 
where we end up in this scenario where she finds this thing on the phone and she's like, oh, this might have not been me. And as you said, it takes away, it takes a blow to her ego and immediately it's, um, leads to this issue where it's like, well, I didn't get this. This isn't earned by me. Yeah. And that kind of sets her up for the big hit when Owie comes along with her boyfriend. Yeah. Um, which is probably, uh, <laughs> um, knowing that Owie was behind, uh, pretty much everything in terms of murder. Uh, it's uh just, I don't know it's, how much. There's some icing on the cake there that just feels really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, as a reader. <laughs> As it, it, feels like, it feels like Aoi's almost setting this up to be like as damaging <laughs> to Noriko's psyche as possible. Yeah, which shows, which like, as she says, like, Aoi is like, Aoi says this numerous times in the story that, like, I know you really well, Noriko. And mm-hmm. we don't take that seriously. Like, oh, obviously, um, she doesn't know about Corpse Girl, so she doesn't know her that well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she knows her really well. Uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to Aoi when we get to Aoi. Oh, but that's also another annoying. So I guess those are sort of the the three things: the um, uh, the initial sense of power, the taking away of that power to set up for the major fall, and the owie afterthought of this kind of being uh, her introduction. Like it, it's also the introduction of human removal service and yeah, owie's yeah. dynamic alongside um, corpse girl. This sort of yeah. sense of opposition being introduced against corpse girl. That's always kind of been there because Aoi's always been involved. Um, but uh, the whole human removal service dynamic is really important for Chapter 2. In fact, Junpei's introduction is really important for Chapter 2. How about we start talking about Chapter 2? Maybe. Uh, I think it's fascinating, though, because at that point, like none of that we know. We don't know anything about Aoi. We don't know anything about Junpei yet. Um, and although we, you know, we know that this is going to be crushing her, at the same time, that's never mentioned. She never says what her reaction to it is other than we just see her deteriorate. But also, I think, seeing a second corpse photo at the time, like, my, my, my thought process was this could be a, a copycat, but I didn't, go that, I didn't actually go down that route. I ended up thinking, maybe Noriko has really lost it, and she's two corpse girls. She's sending different photos and taking credit for it. And then, of course, she goes to her website and finds requests that have already been marked red. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. oh so, yeah, like, I think I'm like... So like maybe she's completely lost it, split personality, and she's doing more than she thinks she is. See, I just kind of immediately <laughs> took that as, oh, we've been hacked, and this is a copycat. <laughs> like I didn't, I, I hadn't yeah. really, like I, I just didn't feel that like Noriko was in any frame of mind by this point to be able to pull off something like that. I was just immediately, oh, you've been hacked. Yep. But yeah, that's yeah. The, the whole hacker reaction was definitely the reaction that I had to. Um, <laughs> like, imagine being hacked when you log into your website with slash admin. I can't imagine that. Like, <laughs> your opsec is so good. Mm-hmm. Noriko definitely has, it, like, an inflated sense of self, which kind of plays into the entire dynamic of the story. And that's um, another yeah. thing I really the- love, is that, like, they kind of suck at this for a while. And, like, just because oh, yeah. it worked, like, once or twice, she's just like, yeah, I'm the shit! But it's just like it was would be like like coming from her perspective, like the train station and here she's walked in and she's killed like fifty people. Yeah, <laughs> she's the goddamn world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I just thought it was incredible. Like because yeah, I think yeah, you actually sees them being read while she's there, and that 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 they'll get rid of the the second personality. Yeah. I think. But up until then, I was like, but what if? Yeah. 
let's, let's go on. Let's, let's, let's kick this off. Let's, let's, let's act it, it's, it's definitely an interesting thought, though, what you're bringing up, Nerd, this idea that the, it, the story could have taken that direction. Sure. Because um, that whole time is like, who else could it be? Who could be copying her? No one. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Death Note in the beginning of it, where, like, how could anyone know what you're doing? No yeah. one would know that you're just Photoshopping shit. No one could know that. There's no unless, trail. <laughs> unless you're Owie. But yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, even even then, like so, that's something I brought yeah. up later. Was like, there's a there's a big hole there because they say, um, you know, it comes up later. But like they say, like we worked out it was you and what you were doing because we had your website. But they went into great detail that had her website works and like what details are there and what she downloads and stuff. And the corpse photos aren't there. There's no details or anything left on that website, so they shouldn't have been able to get that out of it. But mm. whatever. Hmm. There obviously like there's more involvement there. Like Aoi talks about basically being involved in all the murders, and my initial thought there is, does this go back to the scarecrow lady? I feel like, like it does. Yeah. yeah. So it's like it like there must be like a deeper um line that Aoi has here. And I think it's deliberately meant to be ambiguous yeah. in I- order to like fill these holes in a kind of yeah, I think we're supposed way. to be feeling a bit like uh, there's something enigmatic here. There's something very mysterious that, 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 that is outside the scope of what we're actually being shown as a reader, um, yep. especially with regards to Scarecrow Girl. So, yeah, especially um, they never really clarify that. I'm very intrigued as to why yeah. they never clarify that. And some sorry to if this is going off on a tangent i'm just thinking more about what nerd said with regards to like oh is there like another personality fulfilling requests and that being like a conceptual idea um i'm kind of glad that the game didn't take that tack yeah um with regards to noriko's mental illnesses um, she is an unreliable narrator in numerous ways, mm-hmm. but I feel like introducing that aspect would almost make it so unreliable narrator I think so as you, to almost be incoherent. You almost throw so, your story out the window at that point, I think. Yeah, yeah you're I, like I, I, you're just going into madness at that point. Yeah, I, I like the idea of being scared of, of a person you can't even fight because it's you. You just yeah. don't know when this other person is there. Yeah. But like, it's, that's a very different story. And yeah, I, I'm glad it didn't go that route. Um, it's just something I, I worry about. Oh, um, I worry um, about in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's terrifying. You, you, you just don't know, and you just see evidence of something that you've done, and it's clearly you, because who else would make court photos? But, but no, it didn't go that way. So, um, no. moving on, I guess, we, we, like, what, are the, what are the big points of, uh, of Act 2 that we can touch on? Like, what, what happens here? Because we've touched a lot on Kojiro as a character, but now we are in the man's brain. We are now in the living cartoon character's brain. Um, and that's going to be a fun time. Boy, that, that's kind of like, I feel that he is such an enigma compared to the rest of this cast. Like, of all the characters, he feels the most like a cartoon in a way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's partially just because, as I mentioned before, he's the most shattered of the characters. Absolutely. He's the yeah. most removed from his human self. Like, I brought we, up like the sort of deadened analogy earlier. He's very he's yeah. very detached even from the violence he inflicts on he can inflict on others. So mm-hmm. including Junpei, who's <laughs> an interesting foil um, the, for uh, this segment. Poor unfortunate that the boy had fingers. Yeah, it was unfortunate. That's one of the best yeah. lines in the video game. Yeah, and that just shows you how detached Kojiro is 
Uh, as oh, you God. said, yeah. I feel like we've gone over right. most of Kojiro's motives for this section. The whole, um, what's her name? Shizuro or whatever. Shizuko. Um, like identity, personality, and being really attached to Noriko and basically doing this to impress her. But I think the most interesting, like this whole um, section of the game is basically Kojiro escalating that line of reasoning. I'm doing this for Noriko. I'm doing this more for Noriko. Um, and eventually getting to the point where it like cuts his arm off is like that final sacrificial action the for most, her. He's the most um, down bad motherfucker on the planet. <laughs> so I think we've kind of nailed how Kojiro progresses through this thing. Mm-hmm. I think we should talk more um, about how other characters interact with Kojiro in this section. That's, Obviously, that's a good um, of thinking. Yeah, yeah, because. Like, we got basically Kojiro's major idea. He's in, like, this Shizuko identity. He's explaining basically that side of himself to us through this chapter. Mm-hmm. But his interactions are probably more important for the story going forward. So I think we should divide our discussion um, into, I would say, three major segments, because there's Noriko, but Noriko and his dynamic is actually quite simple. Yeah, like uh, we, Noriko we... continuously pushes away his advances. Noriko's starting to deaden herself and put herself more into this corpse girl personality right um throughout this time mm-hmm. uh but i think the two major ones are junpei and the human removal services dynamic with kojiro yeah and tomoe's dynamic tomoe especially yeah that's a, that's an interesting connection that i didn't expect to get made uh but they have a mm-hmm. a really cool dynamic where she kind of warms up to him, and I think it's like on his birthday when they kind of those two kind of finally have a little moment together, and like, like, like she even buys him a coffee press. Like, come on, what a good girl! Yeah, Tomoe is yeah. definitely like trying to reach out to Kojiro as a person. Yeah, and Kojiro definitely recognizes and appreciates that. But I feel like he's so removed that he never like follows up on it. He, it's almost he, like a, he has a moments. He has moments where he's just like, you know, like at this point, I would accept anyone loving me, even her, if that's what this actually is. Yeah, because like remember what I said earlier about the whole uh, Shizuko versus Nobel Sinclair dynamic. With yeah. yeah, like Shizuko was his attempt um, to escape that sort of. Um, lifestyle with Nobel Sinclair, that sort of ideal chase. Right. And that is basically like his more humanistic side. Mm-hmm. And his trying to meet Tomoe on that is a sign of sort of life in him fundamentally. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a positive thing for him, but he did the, like, it doesn't quite link together. And we see Tomoe's motives for doing this, um, eventually is because of her like moral dilemma, which kind of matches up with, you know, Kojiro's identity dilemma in an interesting way, mm-hmm. because like Tomoe stuck between like, well, this was a good thing for a reason, but that kind of reason's fallen away. And now I'm just kind of, we're just kind of doing this for murder stuff. And Kojiro's stuck between the same similar dynamic. Like it's almost um, oppositional. This idea of, oh, this is sort of my human side. I'm trying to, like, find a sense of self through other people um, and try to return to, like, more of a concrete identity versus the sort of Nobel Sinclair side. Right. So I think that's very interesting. 
Yeah, and he does try to uh, protect. Uh, uh, he does try to protect Tomoe from Noriko, despite his obsession with her. Yeah, like he actually, like he's dead. He tells her, "Get the fuck out if it's too hot. Like it's fine. You don't have to be here." Yeah, it does take a realization to get that far, right? because it, it comes to the, the the part where she where she just because we get we get the kind of like the the the, the callback to her preparations of getting. Um, her neighbor in trouble. Yeah, um, that just seems to be that just seems to be like a callback of like you know remember all that preparation we went for ages describing. Well, look, it came home and then you know that's what that is. But that's actually a wake up call for him to be like, I actually you know like I'm I'm one disconnected motherfucker, but you know what? <laughs> She's <laughs> scarier than me in some ways. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting viewpoint from him. Mm-hmm. And that mm. and that sort of helps tie us to like how these two kind of start. Like how Noriko and Kojiro's um, dynamic starts to become a bit more contentious because now that the human removal service is in the picture, she wants them gone. And yeah. how can she do that? <laughs> I say, like, my, my, what I like most about this chapter is is the way the writing gets across, like how broken he is and how broken some, well, how broken Noriko is in different ways. Yeah, like we get very, very downplayed just subtle things of like he you know, admits himself like he never we, we had this whole question of like what's he using corpses for is he copying of Vincent Clare at this point um, he's got his 50% of corpses that he's going to use for something for something and yeah we're never point. told like he's very careful to never tell her it's like you know hey I got my secrets you get corpses yeah and then like, and this is the point where he just suddenly says like actually I didn't need them I'd never wanted them. I just wanted her to feel yep. like she's using me. I yep. want, you know, the most attention I've ever got from her. And we go, okay, cool. That's, that's interesting. That's, that's his dynamic with her. And then, and then we go, okay, so he never needed corpses. He's got some normality in him. And then the sentence finishes with, cause I've been stealing them for years anyway. Cause I've been <laughs> stealing them for oh years. <laughs> and it's like that, that is like the perfect little, like we just seeded the big reveal for the, like, you know, the ending. Like we just seeded it right here. Right here, you will come back. This line will flash to your brain when you find out what the big reveal is. <laughs> yeah, and, and and then there's other things like um, when she, when he says, "Oh, she never gave the library book back," and he's like, "Oh, it's another place I can't go." What do you mean another? Yeah, another. <laughs> <Not too weird. laughs> uh, and then it, and it does kind of like yeah, his how disconnected he is. Suddenly we get his confrontations with with Junpei, where it is the most terrifying shit, and I love it. I am so here for it. Just just like question one. Oh my Christian god! Too. He is. Junpei has made the mistake of having fingers. <laughs> oh my god! His interactions with Junpei are just—they're—they're they're comical, but they are absolutely terrifying. Just how like straight he—he pl- he doesn't raise his voice. He is very calm. He is very nuanced. Every syllable is perfectly spoken. There, make no like and, and like each time like and it's just he is so mechanical. And un and detached with his violence, that it is just like, my God, dude. Hmm. I think that's an interesting thing about Junpei. He's actually comes across as a pretty regular guy. Obviously, very nerdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like he's into this human removal service stuff because he like read it online and is like trying to yeah. impress his buds. I think that yeah. even comes up at one point and. It's such a contrast to Kojiro in terms of dynamic here, because Kojiro, he's the real fucking deal. He's not some fucking poser boy yeah. um, trying to look like a big deal online. And obviously, Junpei is just kind of a helper for this kind of thing. Um, so it really sets up this fun dynamic where um, Kojiro gets to be a complete, utter fucking psychopath. And Junpei just has, like, 
the reactions we would have to this scenario. Um, like, yeah. What yeah. the fuck is wrong with you, man? <laughs> yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of sums up their dynamic, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I wanted to bring back this message in the chat. I'm not sure if it got discussed at all. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, bit about protecting Tome away from Noriko, despite his... So later on in the chapter, Tomoe's trying to get out of it, right? Yeah. And um, this is kind of to bring back the whole Tomoe dynamic where, like, uh, this is kind of, like, um, like, Tomoe's the moral core of the story, as mm. I've said more numerous times. <laughs> and, like, Kojiro is getting, like, a bit of life, like, literal life from her almost. Mm-hmm. So he kind of latches on to this a bit and tries to def- like defend her from Noriko when he sees that she's, you know, going further in a direction that obviously he's gone before. Not that he brings that up in the narrative at all, but he, he shows concern for Tomoe, um, even though he's obviously very um, Noriko-sided. But once, like, Tomoe is out of the picture and reasonably safe, like, he's fulfilled his obligation, so to speak, yeah. he goes right back to needing a new source of life, which falls him back into the Shizuko dynamic. I yeah. I'm probably pronouncing that name so fucking No, you got that. Shizuko, Shizuko is her name. You're getting it. You're fine. Okay. Um, but yeah. Um, and it ends up in the actual climax of the chapter with his last sacrifice to her, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's too early to talk about that. I but mean, that we've is, mentioned a number of times that, that already, you know, that what he does. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of like the building violence with Junpei as well. So yeah. Tries to act against, against Jupei. Noriko keeps on directing him to like go against her. Noriko eventually puts an end to um, Kajiro's move against Junpei at one point. Um, yeah. I believe that was for. She found like a better way. She found probably a better less- way because she's probably- gonna play. Yeah, like like she was going to request Junpei's death via the Human Removal Service, and if their herald like had any conviction whatsoever they do it but if they don't mm-hmm. like and it's kind of a dumb gambit because it's like who fucking cares like, i mean to norco she'd probably go yeah, through with it, it at this point exactly and like she's this is, like this is a just like having any kind of like dignity or honor in this it only means anything to norco it doesn't yeah. mean jack shit to anybody else like so like if you request his death and they don't do it they don't fucking care. It's just like, sure, you might look down on them for it, but what do they fucking care? They're still beating your ass at this point in the death game. Mm-hmm. So Noriko is basically um, making the gambit that the human removal service is like her, yeah. which is a very interesting gambit. Mm-hmm. I think it's also because she didn't want, like, and this might just be my read, I feel like Kojiro confronting Junpei at the cafe, um, she might have felt was threatening to Aoi. And while she did give permission to, like, get Aoi out of the picture, like, I do think there's still, like, a human side of Noriko. And also, there's also the reasoning of, you're bringing so much attention uh, to yourself by doing this. Yeah. So, either that read or the other read, I'm not sure which one is which. Um, it might be uh, the second one, actually. I think it's more the second I've one. Got, I've yeah. got one, actually. Um, so, like, my read on it is partly, like, I, I think she didn't give a shit about Aoi at that stage, and also they didn't think Aoi was going to be there, because as far as they both knew, she quit. she quit, yeah. Um, mm-hmm, yes, I forgot about that. But, uh, but, uh, um, 
Because when she went in, because also remember that what was on the line was if he did this for her, she, she would be his. Yes, yeah, she would. So I feel like uh, why yeah. she stopped it. <laughs> yeah, maybe she's also, just trying to dodge that. Yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting though that she's saying like, you know, she's she's saying like, would the Herald, you know, be, live up to my standards, blah, blah. But also we've got to remember she had her own corpse photo. She ain't dead. So she's saying like, well, she they wouldn't live up to my standards. She's broken her own standards. Yeah, exactly. And she's forgotten about that. She's a hypocrite. <laughs> yep. A little bit, a little bit. So you could say that since she was pursuing the idea of a corpse anyway, maybe she was already killing maybe herself. There you go. Yeah, yeah, That's a good yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll take it. We'll take it. I'll take it. I think she said herself that if she kills herself, then she can't carry on corpse girl's work. Exactly. So she's like, well, then, you know, they never mind. Yeah. And I mean, corpse yeah. girl's work is partially like deadening herself. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that's a really good take on the whole situation that it was probably just to dodge Kojiro's advances. I think that's probably the actual take there because yeah you're right that i don't know if she was like fully deadened to aoi at this point because she comes back to aoi in chapter three <laughs> maybe she just saw it yeah, yeah um, but that's interesting <laughs> yeah i think it's more like she resigned herself to that it might be a combination of like all of them actually she kind of yeah. resigned herself to it but then she realized like oh shit i'm gonna have to be like his girlfriend mm. and also and he doesn't. This have is going to cause a scene, <laughs> and and, and uh, just, like it might be like any of those, really. The way that yeah. she becomes so cold to him, like at, you know, as this chapter nears its conclusion, too, it's like, mm. it, it, is she doing like like has she reached a point where she's doing things intentionally to trigger, like you know, Kojiro's own psychosis. And, 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 like, the way that she's just, like, being very belligerent about the way that, like, you know, like, you can't just make the, the, the body look like it lost an arm. You, you, nah, just don't want to. It's like, wow. Like, yeah. It, it's really, just... like, like, it really feels like she had just become so done with him at this point that it didn't yeah, there's, really there's matter. As well. I mean, like, the, well, the, the way she treated him in general, like, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't changing, she wasn't washing, she was leaving her makeup on. Yeah, and she then, was just like, kind of a dis- a human disaster at this point, and and the way that she. Had... When, like, Go ahead. Well, I think it's just like the the line that that stood out to me was when he said this whole thing of like, I you know, I want you kind of thing. She's like, like, would you even still want me? Like, mm-hmm. like that 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 line just had such a kind of like. Who would want me after everything yeah, I've done? Like, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at this train wreck. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Kojiro was into train wrecks. So. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, would you really want this? And he's like, oh, God, I've never wanted you more. God. Oh, shit. <laughs> don't, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Clearly, Noriko hasn't caught on to the fact that uh, Kojiro has not exactly got the normal brain. Uh, then again, I mean, I feel like they both don't got the normal brain. Yeah. Uh-huh. So at this point, I'm still playing. Who is the most messed up game? And, and I'm sitting there going, "Is it Naruto? Is it? Is it? Is it Kojiro? Aoi's about to come blow it out of the fucking park, but <laughs> yeah, Aoi's about to. Yeah, Aoi. Yeah, here in just a bit. Oh, here in just a bit. What about Nami? Do you got any thoughts on uh, uh, the Kojiro chapter? Because I know that you said that like when we first met him, like, hey, here's a hot guy I want to bone down with. But then maybe that changed in this chapter. What? 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 Where did your thoughts go when we finally got into his head? So Nami has actually stepped out, unfortunately. Okay. Had to go. Oh. Well. Okay. That'll show me. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, uh, here, I'll, I'll throw I'll throw another topic on the table. Okay, so, so we were talking topic on the table. Um, 
So we talked about this a little bit earlier with regards to Noriko's Gambit. And mm-hmm. I feel like um, this was an interesting moment, and this will help us lead into um, Act 3, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment where the Herald fakes um, Junpei's death. This is a good and scene! And then Kodro, This is a yeah, good Kodro, scene! Yeah, because we got we got the idea the of like the, the the whole the the whole Herald thing like that had come up and we we're like who the fuck is the Herald? We're finally gonna get to see who the Herald is uh, because Kojiro and Noriko like tail Junpei like like they're like we're gonna go and like they set they set it up like they requested a time of death. Surely this will happen. So they get there and then they find the Herald like and it's like oh and, and we found a dead Junpei body. We did it. And then we see the Herald, and they're wearing a cool Slipknot mask and everything. It's great. And it's also blatantly owie. Like, it's shape, size, skirt, everything's like... Yeah, everything kind of... Like, <laughs> and everything, like, if you're looking at this visage, if you're looking at the image on your screen, and you don't kind of feel like, ah, it's probably owie. Um, I mean, there were still people at this point saying it was fucking Tomoe. And I just want to say, um, <laughs> my girl Tomoe would never do that. You all are stupid Owie lovers. Um, um, take a hike. Um, get out of I here. knew it was Owie. I knew it your was ass. <laughs> um, but yeah, it goes from like that sort of herald scene, um, basically to the morgue where the final thing happens Ooh, with you boy. know Junpei coming back from the dead and lighting everything on fire. And I guess Kojiro kind of literally has a baptism by fire, given that he lives. But uh, what I love about this scene and and I love about him cutting his arm off is that, you know, he needs to cut an arm off to to to, you know, to mimic the corpse that they got and and then put it on the corpse and and attach it. Motherfucker cuts the wrong arm off. Yeah, (laughs) I think it just emphasizes like that's a lovely part because it emphasizes how unnecessary it is you yeah. just cut out the arm off another corpse this is not about like the act of actually following through for him in terms of the corpse thing right that would be something like nobel sinclair thinks about this Art. is the shizuko um side of him going like i want um noriko to fucking love me please love me yeah and taking her so literally that he just follows through and then we get our ending where Junpei just comes in and is like, you're fucking dumb. And they just like to play us <laughs> on fire. <laughs> it's literally just you're fucking dumb. <laughs> I mean, basically. Um, and, and yeah, he gets his literal baptism by fire. And it, I guess in that moment is reborn as Novell Sinclair. And Though we don't find that out until much later. Like yeah, that, we like, find that at the very end. But at this point, we can assume... He go. He begins his climb in the human removal service. Yeah, like that's the thing that happens here is that like he is he is killed and then he begins an ascent in a mere number of weeks through the ranks of the human removal service and it's just like okay. <laughs> He's very good at corpses. Yeah, it's also <laughs> um, it's also like the genesis of the schism between Noriko and Tomoe. Like Tomoe was already like wanting to leave, um, and. Yeah. From Aoi's perspective, um, and this is probably dipping a bit too much into Act 3 already, um, but I'll, I'll say it for the sake of it, it kind of sets up like um, some of the dynamics that we see in Act 3, mm-hmm. where Tomoe is kind of like, I'm out of this now. I'm out, like, and, yeah. And Noriko's kind of just trying to do this alone. Noriko and by is trying just to like, do this alone, yeah. it's basically just living in the factory doing nothing. Uh, but yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, she, she, she is destined to, like, like, if you thought Noriko was a trash disaster in Act 2, <laughs> oh my god, she's just become a bit of a, bit, 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 bit of a, bit more of a living trash fire by the time we, 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 we get to Act 3. Um, yeah, by the time everyone leaves her, yeah. like, her obsession is, like, completely maximized, and part of that is seen in the Human Removal Service arc throughout this Act 2. It's all about trying to maintain her height, be that aspirational figure, and everything comes crashing down around her when she loses Kojiro, mm -hmm. when she loses Tomoe, mm -hmm. and she just kind of wallows in her own filth after that. Yeah. She doesn't even know what to do with herself. She's so stuck in this path, this sort of pursuit of the ideal self, even though it's not even like possible anymore. It's not even real. It's just like... It, she needs it to exist. Yeah, like but this is all. Obviously, she gets out of that cycle. She has literally yeah. reached the like. Th this is all I fucking have. Like, there's nothing left. Is there anything else concerning like Kojiro's chapter then, or or or, or have we kind of like touched base on it all? <laughs> we kind of talked to. Yeah, I, I feel, feel like, like the. Um, sorry, nerd. Um, That's I was just gonna say we talked a lot about Kojiro when he first got introduced yeah. to the story. We kind of uh, blazed through everything. <laughs> everything that would happen in Act 2, which, hey, as a podcast host, that makes things a lot easier for me. Um, uh-huh. But we still got a lot yeah. out of Act 2. Absolutely. Um, is anyone in the... I mean, for uh, me, Act Two is all about the tiny detail. Again, like so I say, yeah. like the, the the way the wording was, but like this thing's like we ha we saw his apartment and it's basic and blah blah. And then then there's just the, the hint that he's got a dead body in the closet. Yeah. And that's got his good his good lab coat on it. Um, and then we get really the revelation. Good. Yeah, that was, that was great. And then like because it's never outright said, and we know that Tomoe visits there and we're like she's going to find it. She's going to find it. Yeah. And I had this this revelation that of, of actually of of all the situations that could ever happen, her finding a dead body in his cupboard. Would be the least weird thing. That is the least the situation that it wouldn't be that bad. See, I they already deal that, with them day in day out. <laughs> I thought that maybe she'd find it and he'd kill her. Maybe I don't know. Like I just kind of thought yeah. that maybe something like that was gonna happen. But but like the whole idea of a corpse being in the walls was something that like this this game seeded uh, very well. At least for like yeah. like with regards to Noriko's apartment. Uh, speaking of mm -hmm. corpses, speaking of corpses inhabiting areas, um, and that was something that like I had kind of figured out super early in the story because like uh, a yeah, they the smell, the smell. There's like they constantly keep coming back, but there's a musty smell in my apartment, and I fucking hate it. I could just you know, and like and everybody like and other people that come there mention it. Uh, like when Kojiro and Tomoe go there later in the story, it's like God, it fucking reeks in here. Um. And, like, that was my cue early on that, like, oh, there's a corpse in the walls because, like, a family friend uh, of mine was actually murdered and stuffed in a wall uh, back in, like, 2007. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of, like, how they ended up finding the body two weeks later. So it was like, oh, I, yeah, there's, there, for, for whatever reason, there is a corpse in Noriko's walls. And I don't know whose it could be, but I know that yeah. it's there. Uh, so that was always, yeah. like, kind of like, when are we dropping that bomb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't think Kodro can be possibly related until suddenly it's like, yeah, I used to live in that apartment. It's like, oh, and then it all <laughs> fucking snaps into place when you like when Kodro mentions that that was his apartment and like you know he saw Noriko like the day that he was packing up to leave because she was moving yeah. in. It was like, oh, oh, <laughs> shit. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of Act 2 can be summed up with, like, this is all set up of how Kojiro is involved in all this yeah. in terms of the end of the, the game. Big like, picture. it's setting up all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I mean, we get a lot about Kojiro and the Shizuko thing um, in this chapter, which we didn't get in Act 1, but we already talked about it in Act 1. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's definitely, like, a character study of him and um, his uh, uh, brief relationships with, like, Tomoe, uh, Noriko, and Junpei. And, um, yeah, and setting up for the end. So, actually, I'll actually say that how disturbing the, the, the Shizuko scene was. Oh, God, then, dragging like, her, the, dragging her through the fucking street. The like, description of like her head hitting every step. Oh, God, it was, it was, it, that was one of those, this is really hard to read uh, yeah. moments on stream for me where it's like, oh. I didn't find it that hard to read, but maybe I'm a psychopath. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're a psychopath. Maybe you're a psychopath. Or maybe I've just read too many criminal law cases. That, I mean, that is true. You are a law student, and you've probably had, you know, you've probably read about some corpses in your day. Yep. I've even read some interesting stories, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for another podcast. Right. Um, <laughs> Um, the murder podcast. The mur- yeah, um, we'll be having a murder podcast here. Uh, we're starting up a new Murder Makes People Sexy. Uh, tune in next week. Um, uh, come here for our true crime podcast in which two white girls talk about uh, a murder. <laughs> <laughs> two white girls and nerd. There we go. And nerd. There <laughs> <laughs> there's one line actually looking over my notes there's one line that i forgot about completely uh-huh. um, and it's when they when they see the herald they see they see what is clearly owie uh Kodra fucking throws a knife into her shoulder and she does not no flinch response and that's gonna be real big going into uh our discussion about owie yeah speaking yeah, of yeah. people who are deadened <laughs> oh boy oh boy so um so yeah, I think maybe that's Act Two. Yep. I just want to share an excerpt from the uh, from the art book under Aoi Sato, her uh, her biography. Uh huh. Um, she does. By the way, she does. Uh, she dislikes working in a maid cafe. She likes oh. cold places and sweet drinks. Mm-hmm. And she likes uh, dreaming about the future. Oh. Although although she appears meek and withdrawn, Aoi possesses a fierce streak that few people ever see. She relies on Noriko a bit too much, yet she has no idea of Noriko's role in the murders plaguing Tokyo. She's innocent <laughs> at heart, but does those who get to know her get the impression she's been through a lot of awful things in the past. Mm. I think mm. we can detail everything in the entire bio. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh... Yeah, that's really like I didn't get the art book version. Like I just got the uh, I just got the the package yeah. copy. Uh, but yeah, that's really good. On my way likes tea ceremonies. Hmm. That's new. That I. That's <laughs> nothing I would have expected from her. Speaking of teas, I'm back with tea. It fits that cla- that, that that Tomoe is is Cap's favorite character, and that mm-hmm. Tomoe likes tea ceremonies. We're finding this out oh, yeah. from we're finding this out now from the art book. <laughs> yep. Truly, the moral compass of the uh, <laughs> the, the game. You see, I love it that like her biography is from like the first five minutes of knowing her because it's like she seemingly made it her life's goal to harass and torment Noriko at every opportunity. <laughs> this game doesn't have enough talking about the moral dynamic between tea and coffee, 
You'll notice that Tomoe is actually into tea and thus is good, whereas Noriko uh, is into coffee and thus is bad. Uh, this has been a statement from the uh, Tea Lovers Association. See, I hadn't thought of it that way. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to get a hold of the author and see uh, what he thinks of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Or there was Shinya. Our boy Shinya. He dislikes being impolite. Oh yeah, yeah. He likes. He likes researching cold cases and movie nights. But I, I love this. This. This shade that his own biography is giving on him. Oh no. It's, 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 He's an overly serious young man with dreams of becoming a detective. He has known Noriko for a few years, though he doesn't seem to suspect her role in the recent murders. Perhaps he isn't cut out for becoming a detective after all. <laughs> the shade! Damn! Like, even like when your art book is throwing shade, maybe it's time you give, up, give it up. Give I mean, up. Shinya's definitely that guy that watches too much true crime, but he's like... Oh, 100%. And, like, looks up to the police and all that stuff, but just... Not much of a, a thinker. Not no, much of a thinker. Nah, not a free thinker. Um, yeah, I think he just like worships his dad in yeah. a sense. I guess that's another sense of self versus ideal. Um, like she is like just as much as Tomoe and Noriko kind of just flailing about in life. He's doing a better job of it. He got an internship at the bank. Good job, champ. Um, but he doesn't seem to have his heart in it. Um, maybe he realized that he can't do detective work and he's just kind of like, eh. but he gets a chance during this and he's very happy about it. I hope things work out for him in tone way, but um, it's going to take a while for him to find his way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot to live up to. She just does better. She, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any <laughs> other interesting art book tidbits? It's not much because it's only like we've got a little biography on the main characters and then the rest just there's just their, their stats and uh, nothing else. Like, gotcha. you know, like Noriko is clever, stoic, manipulative. Mm. These three words describe Noriko better than any others. Now I'm pretty sure we can think of a few. I, yeah, we gotta. <laughs> um, I feel like those are the three words that Noriko chooses to describe herself. Yeah, um, yeah um, specifically stoic. More than anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she emphasizes that all the time that she doesn't want to be like emotional and things like that. Which is another like yeah. ideal versus self sure, thing that comes sure. up a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um. I wonder if that can be contrasted with the nature of a corpse at all, or if that's something that she fell into um, through her upbringing of trying to just like a... roll through things. Yeah. Right. It was definitely a corpse girl thing because she was she was like this corpse is cold and unflinching. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it, it might even be both. Like you have to think about like why did Noriko even appreciate the corpse in the first place. Mm. Yeah, um, she was really so, entranced by it when she initially saw it. it. Like, there was something that just struck a chord, and, and and I think that it's sort of tied to having like seen her mom almost dead, and like having like the, the, I think it all ties back to that experience in some weird way. Where just yeah, mm. it just fulfills so many of her ideas of like slenderness yeah. and mm. beauty and unflinchingness mm -hmm. it, it really it can it, you can easily see why it had such a big impact on her yeah. as you said um the impact mirrors what happened with her mother so yeah like that obviously had a big impact on her life as well mm -hmm. um also someone in the chat uh said trans owie <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I don't it. think that's a. I don't think that's a thing. Uh, I, I, I do remember that joke I put in the chat that Owie was uh, being very trans rights by saying that cis girls can wear uh, a girl's skin too. Yeah. Um, 
Because <laughs> it's like a common like um, transphobic belief that like trans women are like Buffalo Bill from uh, Silence of the uh-huh. Lambs. Uh huh. And like Buffalo Bill wears the women's skins, which is basically what Owie's trying to do with yeah. the um, I'm, I'm also with. I guess we can get into that now. Yes, we can because Owie is a girl that has a lot going on. So, a oh boy, oh boy. So, oh, one, one last thing. Sorry, sure, 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 um, sure, sure, sure. from the art book. Noriko is twenty. Okay, um, that's 20 what I thought. And she likes coffee and tea. Oh, well then. Oh, mother. Well, that just shows her moral dynamism and why <laughs> yeah. it's very important that we try to lead her to the path of tea. It, it would better be emblemized if, in the good ending, she drank tea. There um, you go. <laughs> there. Yep, yep. God damn it. So, so um, th- th- we got to dive into Owie's backstory uh, at a certain point in the final act as things are going on, and it reveals that she's... Uh, Always kind of been a bit envious of Noriko, really, which is something I didn't expect coming into things. Uh-huh. Yeah, she sees she sees Noriko as as beautiful, and and and, and that she had a wonderful family. Uh, and she <laughs> she just complains about them a little bit, is all. I mean, sure, yeah, it's not that bad though. Uh, but she wanted to be Noriko, basically. Um, and 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 um. Like, 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 Allie mentions that her mother was abusive and that at some point her father had actually slit her throat and killed her. Uh, which was a wild thing to read. We had to stop and read that four or five times to make sure we were getting things because it's at this point in the story that Allie continues repeatedly referring to herself as a corpse, as a walking corpse, as somebody who has already died. And I believe it's because this incident was so traumatic for her in which she got her throat cut that um, she, she's developed Cotard syndrome, or Cotard's delusion, which is basically a walking corpse syndrome. And you can look that up. It sounds really fucking scary. Um, and again, presented really well here. But, um, this is sort of like the, the, the basis of why uh, she's become so sour and angry uh, at Noriko is because she thinks that, like, look, I'm fucking dead. Look how good you have it. Like, you're alive. You have, you have people that you can call family. Like, you have a mom. Sure, she might not be super alive right now and not super dead either. You got a sister. Like, I bet they all love you and that you have wonderful times together while me, poor Owie, I'm dead. Um, and that's sort of like the basis of why, like, she sorts, she sort of starts to resent Noriko in a way that, like, she eventually sets out to just, like, you know what? I'm going to, like, she, they find, like, through Junpei, they find out about the Corpse Girl website, uh, and that Noriko is the one running it, uh, because dumbass Noriko kept the, uh, the, the requests on the server, and the one that came in for Noriko, which, Owie is the one that sent it. Uh, Noriko marked it with, ha ha, yeah, right, that's me, bitch. Great life decisions. Let's, <laughs> let's hear it for our girls uh, once more for her opsec. It's just so good. She's so... Because <laughs> it's one of those things that's where she's so like, I'm so careful, I use a VPN, I, I, I incriminate my neighbor, I delete the, the things <laughs> I never put on my laptop, I, I chuck the phones out for 24 hours, blah, blah, blah. Ha ha, this is me. Here's my photo and my phone number. It was so (laughs) fucking good. Like, it's such a, like, it's such a, like, 
it, it feeds it's like oh, it feeds into her being like real conceited too just like yeah like fuck you that's me bitch <laughs> just that's yeah such... remember when the art book said she was clever <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> whoops uh, what I'm saying is like she never even tried to fake her own death and it's like no because she did I mean it was fascinating what she did do and then forgot about it and then completely which led forgot to that entire clusterfuck, which is great yeah it's great it's great but it, like it also it's like it was a clusterfuck that actually went in her favor because she was able to like pull Tomoe over to her side so it's like oh like yeah okay so like this girl is just real good at fucking up into good luck I think yeah. that's 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 kind of that's one thing Kojiro says, which we, which we now think is probably a bit of a lie and playing into it. But he said, like, the first thing I thought about you was like, you were this super genius and you you you, you were like a higher <laughs> level than everyone else. Are you just lucking your way through this shit? Because I don't respect that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's what she was doing. <laughs> yeah, that's re- I, and I love it. That's the fact that that is what's happening with Noriko. Is that like, yeah, like she is kind of just bumbling her way through this in a really weird way. Um, mm-hmm. And Aoi fills the gaps. And Aoi's out. <laughs> With a murder stalker. <laughs> we find out that yeah, like with all this shit that 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 that, that Noriko has been doing in the name of Corpse Girl, all these deaths have turned out to look. Owie been busy. <laughs> <laughs> like my damn girl. Like she recounts all of the massacres and the deaths that she's caused just because they had access to the Corpse Girl website, and she just wanted to continue feeding into her delusions and just just stuff. Fuck with her, and eventually, like you know, I'm going to find you, kill you, and become you. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's really it's really Owie's entire fucking plan. Um, and, and I guess we should also mention that Owie has uh, almost crippling obsessive compulsive disorder, um, mm-hmm. which which comes into play a little bit uh, in the story. But it's something again that I think is represented very well. Um, and I just kind of wanted to point that out because, again, like like calling out those instances where this shit's portrayed really well, and it's it's a really interesting uh, quality of her character. Um, so so where where are we going with Aoi? I know some people got some thoughts with Aoi. Uh huh. I think a good place to start with Aoi is talking about the masks that she wears because we mentioned to put a pin in it earlier. Yeah. Um, the fact that we were not exactly sure what was going on with her at the maid cafe. Was yep. her ma- like she killed her manager? Apparently that happened. Yeah, uh, Junpei helped with that, so yep. that problem was solved. Not sure what happened with the family member Delio. No, uh, so, nothing's mm, ever brought up about that again. Yeah, exactly. We don't even know if she was lying. To yeah, Norco like that's the thing. We don't. It's hard to yeah. say. It's really hard to say mm-hmm. whether she was lying now. And yeah, and you can you can put a bunch of red flies for Owie since the beginning of the game during the Emmy segment of Act One. She even says, like, oh, yeah, I know where Emmy lives. I followed her home the other day. Oh, my God. That was just like, when she was just like, yeah, I I have her address. I followed her home. I was like, Mm -hmm. you did what? Why? Excuse me. And I think that's the first major. That's never mentioned. And it's my own personal theory. Because we never figured out who put in the photos for the three girls from the Mm -hmm. shop. Yeah. And, and like I we assume it was um Yuriko, Yuriko, but then why yeah. would you like, it doesn't seem it doesn't make sense that Yuriko would do it in a sense like maybe may but also like it's nothing to be relied on, she wouldn't know the website worked or anything. So my theory is it's Aoi because she's met all those three girls, she can stalk all of them, find out where they all live. Yeah. And just and just like put those photos in, have the you know, as a request from herself, kill them all and yeah, Yuriko goes, Oh, I did that. I did that, yeah, yeah. It's it's <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I kind of uh, like the whole dynamic there is Yuriko, like that meme. Yuriko putting in the three girls' pictures doesn't make sense for like fucking sixty dollars, because that's all they got yeah. out of that heist was like sixty dollars. Like, is that why would you do that? So like, it didn't make sense for Yuriko to be the one to have done it. No, yeah, and why would Yuriko like, like emphasize that as being like? Like, how would she even, like, if that's, like, the major part of her plan, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to kill everyone involved, uh, why would you rely on a murder website that you right. don't even know works? That you don't even know never works. Used before. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's just, like, it definitely had to have been Aoi. Yeah. And also, because we have this whole, like, why does, it, why does it not normally work? Well, because normally, Aoi doesn't know where the fucking person is. It's just a photo and a phone number, so she can't physically get to them. Yeah. Whereas those, those three girls, well, I know where they are physically. <laughs> yep. And it just it just adds up. It's such a perfect little theory that's never mentioned, and I love it. Yeah, really, really good shit. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of interesting that it's never really uh, established whether Noriko fixed her security problem. <laughs> I uh, don't maybe think Aoi she... was just yeah. I think she was just like yeah. I'm just gonna look and check because like eventually, like as you say, uh, Noriko needs to send the corpses there. Yeah, which means they need an address. Which means Aoi knows where to find them. Exactly. Which means to follow up on all of them. Yeah. So it yeah. becomes better. <laughs> there is the mystery of whether the scarecrow at the beginning, the scarecrow killing, uh, was Aoi, Aoi though. Yeah. Or whether yeah. maybe she found out um, somehow. Got lucky well, I mean, or something. They would have been, been quite close. She might have told Aoi, like, I've done this photo. Like, maybe? Yeah, there's, uh, there's so many, like, like, there's so many questions with regard to that first murder. Mm. I think like so about the the Digiva website open. She does mention, and this is very, this is glossed over right at the beginning of Act Two, that the Human Rules Office started targeting all of Cops Girls' victims and then stopped, and all of them were then their own. So I think she did take take her website, something to change her password or some shit. Yeah, but that that, that first batch of twenty five. <laughs> like that, those were all Aoi. Got those. Okay. Took care of them real fast for you. Hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of, I guess, ambiguity around how involved Aoi was and how much she knew and when and all that. Um, yeah, that, that's a so, big, big black hole. Yeah, it's a black hole, but it's I think it's meant to be a black hole. And like, I think it's, it's, a, it's a fun twist, but like, yeah. it's so hard to like, fun, like bring up all the machinations in practice. It almost feels impossible. So yeah. letting us fill in the gaps of who was killed by Aoi and who was just a coincidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like one who got in a car crash was probably a coincidence. Yeah. But Absolutely, a coincidence. yeah. I feel um, that, like, think... this is a story that is predicated a lot on suspension of disbelief as well. Like, you've kind of got to, at some point, understand that you're just reading a story that you don't want... Like, again, this is not a story you can go in and try to fucking cinema sense to death because, it, one, that's just a shitty way to engage with media. Uh, and two, mm-hmm. like, this is a thriller. It's just kind of like, this is just trying to make you feel some things. It's taking you on a ride. Enjoy the ride. I don't need the answers for everything like this. Like, uh, and mm-hmm. I think that, that was something that I ran into uh, talking to some other people about this game and, like, the endings and stuff. It's just like, I, I think that you're looking for answers that don't really need to be explicitly stated because I feel that, like, the author's intent speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. The twin is I think the, the one issue I'd have about that is just literally we've got this whole idea that Aoi's been doing this because of Noriko, mm. but then suddenly she's part of a cult area that, that are doing it. Yeah. Did she start it with Junpei? Or did they find her? And then later on, like, um, 
Kojiro manages to get in it and climb the ranks, but then he becomes like the head honcho. And it's like, that timeline is so weird. It's a very weird thing to try and think about because it's just like, he worked his way up through all this shit in a few weeks. And like, there's like, oh, we've just got like hundreds of little damaged girls running around doing murder now. It's great. The murder business is going fantastic. (laughs) Um, Uh I mean, I guess the implication is, um, and maybe you can draw this back to the central narrative that we can tie the sense of the murder website as uh, almost like a business mm-hmm. and being like an element of our society in the position that people who are wanting to be aspirational are put into. Like if you put that sort of dynamic in society and you put that in a situation where mental illness can lead to situations like Noriko, then inevitably there's going to be more than one Noriko out there. So that's where this kind of weird cult emerges. And the cult is super goth. Like That's the most goth shit in the world. Let, let, let's go with it. Yeah. And the fact that Kojiro advances so fast in it is probably just due to his expertise. Yeah, it requires yeah. a lot of suspension of disbelief, but I think that's why um, the author keeps it so vague. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's almost like an illness... Um, from society itself is causing the manifestation of these websites, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. not the fault of these individuals. It's the pressures that are being put upon them. And, um, you know, that, that can lead into mental illness as well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Vicious no. circle. <laughs> vicious, it. It's a vicious circle. Yeah. Um, I, like if you, if you look at the dynamics, it kind of makes sense. Obviously it's not like realistic, but if you look at the sort of central metaphor of the story, I think it makes sense as yeah. a metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love the idea that he's this kind of Hannibal esque character that after dealing with Noriko, he becomes able to just manipulate other similar girls in that way mm. to become more Norikos or like more more heralds. I love that idea. It just doesn't tie it with the fact that he joined this society afterwards and the society really seems to have been just Aoi and Junpei at the beginning so how yeah. he climbed the ranks above Junpei I don't know other yeah, than it's... he came along and, and started threatening Junpei like, as Nobel Sinclair not as um, Kojiro I was like I know your shit I'm gonna break more fingers <laughs> and took over yeah. that way yeah. that I mean I, could, I think that that's entirely feasible like I could see him just basically you know b- breaking fingers his way into you know more ranks just go yep. every finger mm-hmm. you break that's another rank let's go friends You've got yeah, 10. That's... You've got 10. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> I don't think necessarily it started with Aoi and Junpei. I definitely think Junpei got Aoi into it. I think that like, it's hard to say. Or, yeah, I, I yeah it's hard to say. This is why it's kept vague. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I think about the copycat website. Like, for a copycat website to be, it had to come after Corpse Girl. Yeah. And had Aoi was already stalking Corpse Girl and doing the, dead, the, the work for her. I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's weird. It's weird. We roll with it though, because it's just you yeah. know sometimes sometimes the storytelling doesn't need to be a hundred percent neat and tidy. Uh again, yeah. like I was just more than happy to let this thing wash over me. I didn't feel the need to sit back and, and, and question every little detail. Um just because yeah. I, I feel like this is a story that's just enjoyed best if you just take it for what it is and don't worry too much. Um, yeah, you just yeah. take it as a collection of like metaphors for what these characters are going through. I mean, it's like, so I don't think we, I don't think we'd get anything meaningful by knowing fully the structure of the yeah. human removal yeah. service or like how they promote people. Maybe Kojiro is just really good at making corpses because he works at fucking morgue that yeah. burned down. Never, don't think about it too much. 
I'm, I'm just making like um, I'm just making babble at this point yeah. about this topic. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Um, I think um, a thing that's worth talking about, if I may move the conversation forward, go ahead. If that's okay. Yeah. Um, is talking about how Owie's dynamic um, kind of plays into the same line as how Noriko's dynamic works. So I spend a lot of time during this podcast talking about the difference between ideal and the self. Not, I'm basically going to do that again with <laughs> Aoi. But Aoi's a much more interesting scenario in that she manifests this as Noriko being the ideal. Yeah. Aoi sees herself as so lowly. Um, so, and she literally sees herself as dead. So I can literally call her deadened um, mm. to the world that she's made uh, Noriko into this ideal that she needs to obtain. And it kind of brings out the sort of madness and unattainableness that as a part of Noriko's story into um, um, a very real place for the reader, simply because, you know, we're rooting for Noriko, right? Um, it's kind of a weird thing that we're rooting for Noriko, but we are. We yeah. sympathize with Noriko. But she's butting up against the very same dynamic that Nor like Noriko is fulfilling in a toxic way. It is a twisted without. extreme. Um, it, yeah, they're basically meet yourself, uh, basically. The funny obviously. Yeah, like, yeah. The funhouse mirror. Uh-huh. And Aoi obviously is a bit different than Noriko. She considers her experiences worse and all of that and it's very interesting how her whole thing plays out because it really brings in the whole like madness of the entire concept of aspiration like if you thought aspiring to making a great corpse website and literally being able to will people dead was a weird aspiration trying to become someone else literally is that's... Also, an extremely weird aspiration. Yeah. And we see that in the hell ending. Um, oh, yeah. It's worse. Like, we, mm. obviously, the whole build of Owie is like getting into a place where she can go in and murder the fuck out of Noriko. Somehow, Noriko survives because I guess Owie was too. Um, she probably was coming herself. We can call that come three. Um, <laughs> over the fact that she's totally just stabbed Noriko. And that means she's Noriko. And she, she like styles herself up like Noriko and goes into work. And Shinya's oh like, my what God. the fuck? It's so and, fucking good. Oh and my it's such God. A, like, it, it's, it's such a beautiful absurdity when she like goes into work and can't do anything and everyone's just like, uh, like, there's obviously something extremely wrong, um, wrong here. But... Wrong here. I do like her Noriko uh, get up, though. Oh, Very well so... planned. I... Uh, and then she goes home and it goes to its like logical conclusion of, I want this life. I need this family. and But she can't have it. Noriko's yeah. dead. Her mom is like drugged to fuck. Everything is nonsense. Like She can never be Noriko. Yeah. She needs to be happy with what she herself is. And what she herself um, can be. Yeah. And obviously that can be a huge struggle. It's a struggle that Noriko goes through about the story. Mm -hmm. um, and both of them have completely unreasonable ideals set out for themselves. Yeah. And being able to... Um, being like Noriko's good ending, I guess, is being able to recognize that 
take a step back and pursue, um, I guess, an ideal that's more realistic. Yeah, but with like, Owie, it she takes it to the logical conclusion of like this is as close as I can get, and I'm grasping. She's just grasping, and it's so extremely. It, it's simultaneously pathetic yeah, and horrifying. It's it, like that. Absolutely, like the hell ending was just like I think that that like to me the hell ending was the most striking of. All of the endings, just because of how into the idea of becoming somebody else, they drove us in there, and it just it's 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 horrifying in all those ways that you kind of want to be spooked out about just like what you you're sitting there the whole time, like even just reading that online, like like during the stream the whole time, it's just like I'm sitting there in my mind, it's just like what. What? What? The fact that we didn't have to do anything other than just start and just show her with the name Noriko in her little costume and at uh, work, and that, that was it. You didn't, you didn't need to click the next line. We were just brain. there screaming at it. I was just screaming what at my screen for like an entire minute. I think somebody clipped it. It was just like... Oh, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, I was just like... like it was, the, it was the... Yeah, like the hell ending is by far just like... Hell is the best way to explain it because it like she she really did construct her own hell in a way like um you know she ends up like and in the very end like she's hauled the fuck back off by Kojiro yeah which is the interesting thing like remember the whole thing where Kojiro is stuck between like this life dynamic which is kind of never really attainable for him yeah and going back to the Nobel Sinclair it's literally just him coming in and saying, yeah, this isn't working for you life dynamic wise. Come back to the Nobel Sinclair side and yeah. like peeling them off. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that's really sad about Aoi is um, like she's in a position where these delusions are, are far more fulfilling for her than her everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, where like Noriko's delusion at very least, is something that she can get out of. Aoi's kind of in this position where she, like, fucking hates everybody. Everything, she hates yeah. Yeah. And Junpei's, like, this super nice guy to her, and yeah. it's just, like, she can't escape her past. She feels, like, she thinks she's literally dead. Like, she's in a really deep hole, and I can see why she's so desperate and why Noriko almost seems like a, like a savior position for her, yeah. Simply because, like, it's, she's so much lower, um, and I can, like, I can sympathize with that. Like, I've definitely been in positions in my life where I felt so low about myself that I feel like I need to be someone else. I mean, um, I wouldn't go to the extreme if I literally <laughs> need to be someone else. Uh, I probably relate more to the Noriko position simply trying to aspire to, to an a ideal. better self, yeah. uh, you know, or a more powerful self. Um, of course, the healthy way to approach that is to approach that realistically, and we're in a game where no one approaches that no, realistically, no. and it leads to many problems. But that, that's sort of the central issue with, like, Aoi and Noriko. Uh, you, you, you said it lovely, um, that it was like a funhouse mirror. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, it's also sad in... I almost feel okay 
with the good ending, the sort of true ending, yeah. where Noriko essentially puts Owie down. Oh, uh, that's because, rough, like, man. It, like, the original Owie is dead to yeah. herself, and she can't see any way out other than becoming Noriko, and not even the Noriko who's a healthy Noriko, but the Noriko who's still aspiring to that corpse girl idea, the corpse girl idea that Noriko eventually rejects in the true ending. Yeah. Which is really interesting because she's essentially, uh, she puts down corpse girl and buries corpse girl. Yeah. Like the actual corpse. The actual corpse then, in the apartment. Like she goes back three months later and mm-hmm. takes the takes the corpse out of the wall and buries it uh weirdly in a garden <laughs> um by mm-hmm. the uh by the apartment complex but no but nobody's going to notice it's fine uh, yeah so yep. <laughs> and then and then she literally goes like oh i need to take care of this alley problem yep. goes and kills the person who is trying to be her trying to be corpse girl yeah so she's essentially killing corpse girl again, again. she's a killing the past yeah. version of herself and then she finds resolution. Yeah. Um, and also she finds resolution in her like tension with Aoi simply because she accepts that um, unrealistic ideals are not worth pursuing. Aoi rejected her back in yeah. high school and she accepts the fact that she needs to kill Aoi. So basically it's like a three in one uh, thing. It's actually pretty well done in terms of how Noriko tries to distance herself in the true ending, unlike the false ending where she literally takes the path of Nobel Sinclair. And I feel bad because I felt like I feel like uh, I went through Aoi's ending really quickly and just hopped to all three endings and described them all at once. I like why are, I mean. let me say something and I like, like uh, uh, Cap, why aren't you a podcast host? Um, because your mom got him. God damn. God damn. Yeah, like it, I this is literally like for the last half hour how I was going to go through this in my head and you just kind of did it. So I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative. <laughs> like look, you why are you not a podcast host? I swear to Christ because I literally have a set of notes here I'm looking at of how I wanted to go down this last bit, how we were going to stream do my section. <laughs> yeah, like cap, you were amazing at this. Um I don't have any notes. I don't know what the fuck you guys are doing with this plan and shit. This, I did fucking 20 fucking pages of an outline. You see, this is why I'm able to get through law school without with basically like running on a treadmill all the time. <laughs> so, so at the end, I also, you know, again, like I think we mentioned earlier that at the end of the true ending as well, like Noriko receives a call. And it is once again the great stinger of for the ending is it is a call from our boy, Mr. Sinclair. It's just like, hey, we should talk. Give me a call. And it's like, motherfucker. And again, it's like all of the changes that she's made for herself, uh, you know, she's eating better now. Like she actually finishes a meal. Like we're starting to see progress. Like she's moving forward, you know, trying to trying to live up to the new her. The new, you know, not an idealized version, but like an attainable uh an attainable version of herself that is a much better person. Even then, you can't run away from your past and it's just like that that's such a good stinger, I think. Mhm. That's an awesome stinger. And it really it, I think 
I mentioned this earlier, and I, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself a bit, mm-hmm. but again, embolizes how this sort of metaphor plays into the social dynamics that Noriko is in. Mm-hmm. Like, you can never really escape that kind of aspirational sense. Right. And, I mean, even if it wasn't like a toxic social dynamic, that's just a part of ourselves that we're always going to try to pursue. We're going to try to pursue things that we feel, you know, better ourselves, gives us more power, gives us a sense of, you know, well-being of, you know, a greater self, right? Right. right. But obviously, being pulled back into that toxicity, that pit is always a huge danger. Yeah. Um, There's other things, other things worth valuing in life. And Noriko's getting back to some of that. She's taking care of herself. She's, you know, valuing her health. Um, maybe, maybe in uh, in a hypothetical future, she might touch base with Tomoe and try to move on with things um, yeah. as friends. I think that, that I, would be a wait. Cool I think spot. the narration actually in the true ending says that she mentioned something about talking to Tomoe again. So. Oh yeah, I for, I forget these things, but that would be a great idea if it exists in the game already. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, th- yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think like she actually does mention like like I think like Tomoe helped her move or something like that. But I th- I'm almost pretty sure I'd have to go back and look at the text again. But I'm pretty sure that like she mentions Tomoe in the true ending, and that like they do talk. With this framing, it almost sounds like getting over the process of addiction. According to Shika in the chat, I think that's um, actually a pretty good. That, yeah, like as somebody who has you know, been through addiction, um, yeah, like there's definitely that coming out period where like you start seeing like the light at the end of the tunnel. You start seeing life in things again, including yourself. Uh, and as somebody who's kind of been through the addiction struggle more than a couple of times, actually. Um, yeah, like I that's a very fucking apt now. Why isn't Snooze on the podcast? Goddamn. Um I mean, like the whole addiction loop, like mental loop often is reflected in a lot of different mental health issues as well. Mm-hmm. I think that in and honestly, like when you think about mental health issues, um a lot of mental health issues is essentially something that most people experience but to an unhealthy extreme. And sure. that's why I think a lot of the characters in this game, like, this is a weird thing to say, but I think the writer chose their mental illnesses very well. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, and absolutely. they're relatable enough. Yeah. Other than maybe the DID stuff, but the DID stuff shows the gap between the self and the ideal, so it mm. kind of works. Yeah. Nerd? I don't know. <laughs> I think, um... No, I'm not muted. Um, the only thing <laughs> I wanted touch on t- quietly um was like just so the comparison between like Noriko and Aoi like we we kind of we're meant to kind of emphasize with Noriko despite the fact that what she's doing is fucking horrific yeah right and I like the way they do that with the fact that Aoi is basically the same in different ways but we see how different she is in a much more horrific way like we see like yeah she's 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 got her, her issues her problems but she looked at Noriko who had some pretty horrific shit going on and went god you've got it you've got it you easy got it. good um and then we see how Junpei, like, we think of him as quite of an asshole up until then, but we see how, how not, how, like, yeah, how nice a person he is to her, how caring he is, and, like, in great detail, how, like, considerate he is about her OCD, how yep. much he looks after her, um, and all of that. And internally, she's just like, what a fucking loser. She doesn't, yeah, like, she doesn't appreciate so, like, it or really, like, she doesn't it, appreciate anything she has. Yeah, <laughs> anything that's yeah. good in life, she I mean, ignores completely. <laughs> I mean, part of that is the fact that, like, she puts no value in herself. Yeah. Like she literally is dead. Like why is why is fucking Junpei spending all this fucking time on a corpse? 
What a loser. Well, that makes it, a like, lot more it, sense. It, yeah. it might, but it's not. she's not down on herself because of it. It's like, oh, he's wasting his time with me. She's just like, I'm just using him. What a piece of shit. Um, but compared to Noriko, like, she's like, oh, I don't like myself, but I like my eyes. Like, she will appreciate what she does have, but yeah. now he does not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, hmm. I have a bit of trouble with that because I don't feel like Aoi is um, experiencing almost a, a more intense level of the mental illnesses that Noriko's experiencing. And I don't want to say simply that, like, oh, we should view her worse for that. I don't think that's what you're trying to say. No, it just feels it, like things that she does have choice over, she chooses to be shit about it. Then, then it's not like, this is the mental illness doing this. It's like, here is something that you, are, you rationally can think about, and your decision is to treat him like shit. <laughs> like, I internally mean, think about shit. That's know. sort of the issue here. How much can we say like this is part of the mental illness versus how much choice he has, like how much agency Al Alwi actually has right. within the context of the story. Obviously right. she has no agency because she's a character. But <laughs> um um within the sense of the story, like how much agency does he have? Like obviously she doesn't value herself or really anything else. She spoke she's almost like even more than Noriko, hyper focused on this goal this ideal this is like her only way out mm-hmm. like even with noriko she's kind of just falling deeper but aoi's been at the bottom of that pit since high school so she doesn't see the value in other people anymore and i can't just say that that's necessarily um her being a dick i think she's gotten to the point where like her mental health problems have almost subsumed her that doesn't mean necessarily that she's beyond help. Uh, she just needs to, like, be in a hospital. Yeah, like, if there is like a character that years. needs hospitalization in this game, it would definitely be Aoi. Like, just... Yeah. Like, yeah. consider the directness of Aoi's actions. Yeah. Like, like I, I commended the writer at the beginning of this podcast um, for dealing with the delicate issue of mental health and violence pretty well because pretty much all the people with mental health issues in this game um do violence which yeah. is kind of a trope but like noriko does it in an extremely indirect way yeah um Kojiro, um does it in a very mechanistic way mm-hmm. uh, almost um he's so deep that it doesn't really matter to him but Aoi does it in an extremely impassioned way yeah uh, he's the one going out there actually fucking murdering all these people Ko- kojiro when we talk about kojiro he's almost like um the chief manager of human removal service inc uh bringing us back to the capitalism analogies i've been peppering throughout this uh <laughs> podcast um so yeah always like the most direct and probably the biggest threat i mean kojiro is still a big threat and probably should be hospitalized too. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. The, the boy's got issues. But Noriko could probably go to like a therapist and still live yeah. pretty okay. At least before she uh, you know, had that big breakdown. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, I just wanted to like I guess give a little pushback to the idea that um we're meant to see Ali as like worse for that because your treatment of Junpei. I think that's meant to more so illustrate like how she can't even 
like she's so focused on this task that those things are meaningless to her. Well, that's, that's that's more my point though. Is like they're not meaningless. She literally goes out of her way to be like, "I'm using him. I will discard him. I, you know, he's irritating, and I'm just, I, I hate the fact that I have to put up this act with him." It's calculated. Uh, I mean, it's calculated, but it's still within the frame of what she's trying to do. Like, Junpei literally means nothing to her. I think we can agree on that. But I don't think like that's meant to come across to the reader as she's a worse person. I think that's meant to come across to the reader as, oh shit, she's really deep. Mm. It's something I've gone, I've gone through very, like, I, I've gone through something very personally where I would be in in Junpei's shoes. So it, it felt, it felt very. Oh like, yeah, oh. I, don't get me wrong. I'm sure from <laughs> Junpei's end, it would be fucking awful to experience yeah. that. Yeah, I'm just trying to say that I don't think Aoi's is like morally worse for it. Or we're not we're not supposed to take her as morally worse for it. It's just like the depth of her ambition has totally subsumed her. Um, like Maybe. I don't I, think I, I feel like as soon as something is calculated, I think that's not that's not mental illness. That is that is. I mean, that's the part of you. <laughs> how yeah. much how much of mental illness um, can really like when it comes to being calculated? When it comes to your brain and an illness affecting your brain, that can affect your calculations. That's part of the illness, right? So, like, when it comes to how much you, like, how much you can, like, use other people and things like that, like, that can be a part of mental illnesses. Um, certainly, it's part of, like, the uh, characteristics measured in the DSM and things like that. So, like, it obviously sucks for the person affected. Don't get me wrong. Mental illnesses can extremely negatively impact other people. Um, but the point is not so much to uh, morally impinge Aoi so much as to draw out um, this idea of um, Aoi being very deeply invested in her unhealthy, toxic narrative. Yeah. I think that's a very good way to put that. <laughs> All right. Well, what 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 else? What do, do we have any loose ends we need to to snip off here? Because I feel that we 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 barreled through the endings in a very very <laughs> uh, succinct and good and 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 and, and uh, effective manner. Uh, we 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 deconstructed Owie in exactly the way that I wanted us to, and I feel that we've gone over uh, every major part of the story. Um, does anybody feel that there are any loose ends that we need to snip off before, I guess, we bounce on out of here? I guess we could end on a positive note and talk about, like, Tomoe and Shinya ending. I mean, yeah, like, they... They're they're gonna go uh, they're gonna go off and they're gonna I guess they're gonna be investigating the human removal service together but 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 even in uh, the 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 uh, Nobel Sinclair portion of the ending where Kojiro reveals you know who he is uh, he's like yeah that that dumbass detective never gonna find me he keeps chasing me but whatever they ain't gonna find me uh, but they do yeah, like they do kind of have a little bit of a reconciliation there like at the you know at when they are interrogating Junpei they have their moment they get him hauled off um mm -hmm. and i think that's important mm -hmm. in the sense that like at the beginning of act 3 we learn that like Shinya and um Tomoe have been going through this fraught process 
And Aoi obviously goes after Tomoe as part of like eliminating all of yeah, the Yeah, just um, getting rid of everybody aspect. around Corpse Girl. Yeah. Right. And Shinya obviously saves her. And um, it's difficult to interpret Shinya's actions in that scene. I've noticed yeah. people have had a lot of problems with it. We talked about that in the group chat a bit beforehand. Yeah, like I um, talked to the... Because Shinya mentions that he wanted like to find Noriko and kill her himself. But when I asked the, uh, I asked the author uh, about that scene in particular... He said that, like, it's something that he was very serious about, but he doesn't think that Shinya actually has the balls to ever go through with it, uh, which was the kind of the answer that we got for that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that plays into the sort of dynamic between Tomoe and Shinya at this part, because I think Shinya, at the very least, has a sense of what's going on. That's probably why he has the impulse to go after uh, Noriko, yeah. but he won't follow up on it because he's, that's the kind of person shinya is and that fits with what shinya is because i don't even think it's necessarily the balls it totally goes against his sense of ideals here yeah like he's a very legalistic person i think he feels like uh noriko should die for what she did yeah but at the same time um like he would want it to be done in law of yeah. course that's difficult to reconcile with what tomoe did and sure um, they reconcile at the end, yeah. And there's a sense, I guess, of forgiveness there. I don't yeah. know if Shin would, it, like, I guess that's also meant to be a tie-off on the Noriko bit, in a sense, mm -hmm. because if he forgives Tomoe for being actively involved in Noriko's scheme, uh, because of you know what happened, um, what is the logical reasoning for Noriko exactly being not off the hook? I mean, obviously, Noriko was more involved, but you're going to let up Tomoe. Yeah. Like, Noriko didn't actually actively kill anyone. There um, you go. I mean, yeah. So, I guess that's a good way of tying both the Tomoe thing off by giving them a happy ending mm -hmm. and tying off the uh, Noriko bit. Mm -hmm. I guess that works. Oh, uh, any others? Like, or, or are we ending on the happy note? We get, we end on the Tomoe ending. I feel like Cap planned this. <laughs> well, I feel like she, she's so, the best friend. <laughs> well, she is. I think the only two things that are like, anything that we want to talk about that is just like the, the massive, like, the, 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 the elephant in the room. Why the fuck are the police so useless? Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> and then, and that, the thing, that's another thing, thing where <laughs> I just kind of looked at it as like, okay, the police are useless because this is uh, like, I think that like, I feel like while writing this story, I think the scope got away from him a little bit. And yeah, I felt like that was going to be a reason. I feel like the scope got away from him a little bit with the human removal service. I think that it becoming this big thing kind of like it doesn't work when you have this small scale story uh, that this that this story that this game has been telling throughout the you know, and then you make it this thing that starts like it's it, this might go national, you know. And it's just like, well, I don't. Well, I know. feel like that. Hmm? I feel like that could have gone two ways. I feel like either they could have tied it in with Shinya. Shinya is somehow impeding the investigation because he's too eager, or the Human Rules Service is confusing everything because it's a second killer and they don't realize that. And either of those would have been good, and mm. I feel like they had both options, and then they just kind of didn't. I, and that, again, that's not that's probably a scope thing. Yeah, I think just it's just the scope of the story kind of got away from him a little bit. And when you consider how well this story is already told, the fact that that's kind of the only part of the story that I can look at and go, I don't know, I feel that that needed 
that either needed to be pared down a little bit or maybe excised entirely. Like, I think that that actually speaks a lot to the strength of being able to, like, be a small developer and still scope pretty well, uh, despite the yeah. fact that you had that one little misstep with the scoping, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's just, but... why does no one ever come to the morgue? Like, I really <laughs> expected them to take the corpses away after leaving them. Like, leave them, someone kills themselves because of the corpse, take the corpse away again. Yeah. Leaving it there was just like they're gonna look at the body going, This is just this is just this Bob is, with some yeah, makeup on. Where yeah. was Bob cremated? He could have been cremated in this morg right over here. <laughs> yeah. That was a I like... think Yeah. Um I think another reasoning for not doing that, and you're right that absolutely the story gets a bit away from him, um, is because I feel like he didn't want this to become a like a police procedural kind yes. of story. Yeah. If he was going to do that, that, he would lean into the Shinya bit. Yeah. Like um, Alfino is saying in the chat here. Um, mm. But I think if this became a police procedural story, like police versus Noriko, it would, have been boring. Um, it, would it would be kind of by the numbers. Yeah. Whereas I most of the story awesome. is actually um, more about the character, um, character's central personality and examining them uh, like a, uh, what's it called? A character, character. This is a character um, study, basically. Yeah, character study. Boom. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it, it's basically to get a character study on all, like, three major characters, I would say. Aoi, Kojiro, and Noriko. Um, yeah. yeah like, so, he needed to not be on them to not make it a fucking detective storage, because no one wanted that. When, nah. when we had him cornering Noriko, mm. I hated it. I wanted that scene to end. Yeah, I just wanted. Mm-hmm. Some, I wanted a good reason for them to be able to off and then carry on. And I mean, they like. I will give the writer some credit. They do try to cage it in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few things where. Um, uh, remember the whole mall security guy that yeah. gets caught because yeah. of the Wi-Fi yes. thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they bring out the police every once in a while to keep you on. Like they're they're looking for this kind of thing. Yeah, they're investigating. Uh, but they're just Norco not. gets caught about screaming shit at the mall and shit like <laughs> yeah, that. That's yeah. good. Um Yeah. So like it keeps the police in the story, but it doesn't really have them investigating things that would actually lead yeah. to Norco getting caught. Like, oh hey, um maybe someone leached off his Wi Fi. Won't look into that look anymore. Into that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, and, uh, like but that's because the central metaphors and like central narratives are more important. Those that, are, that stuff it, is way more meaty than like a police procedural, which would have just drugged this down. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. If yeah, you no like, you can just imagine after the story ends, and maybe this would be a, a better ending in terms of resolution for Noriko. Uh, maybe she gets that call from Kojiro and. I don't know, decides, like, or maybe, like, like even without that, she just decides to turn herself in. I think, like, that would probably be a big deal. And maybe they'll mm-hmm. say, like, well, we already had all this stuff on you, but we didn't have some central thing. Like, maybe they didn't have the evidence that the phones were sure. or something. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh, they tried to come back to it as well, because they had the whole, the heist went off, the 200 corpses stolen from the morgue, and no one even came to ask questions. Nobody asked and, 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 about that! And, and they brought it up, they were like, what? We went to all this effort to be careful about it, and no one gave a shit this whole time. So they, they it was almost like self-aware, like, yeah, look how weird this fucking is, isn't that strange that no one came to look? It's like, 
What's that about then? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, they probably could have caged it a little bit. I don't think you have to make it a whole police procedural thing. Right. No. Like, you just, like, it, it, could add, it could even add to the tension a little bit that the cops are, like, a little bit nipping at the heels mm-hmm. and they have to change things up every once in a while. Yeah, right. like, then, I wonder, the, I the writer was, it's already a pretty complicated story, so they probably yeah. were like, uh, yeah. so I definitely I didn't want to imagine it. I wanted more like either they take the corpses away and um, then the the police don't even know about the corpses, like mm -hmm. only the the dead person ever saw them. And also the the, the human removal service were just too much of a smokescreen and the police are chasing them, not Noriko. I I just wanted that to be just written there and then cool. Uh, When me and a friend were writing uh, the, the sequel to our first visual novel, the idea of like, well... The things that happened in that first game, there had to have been, there would have to be some kind of police involvement somewhere with the aftermath of what's going on. And the more we thought about that, it's just like, I, we, this wouldn't really work narratively. Mm -hmm. We had to kind of revise the second story a couple of times because the, involving a, a competent police force would complicate the narrative in such a way that would just kind of really mess up the story we were trying to tell so i think a yeah. lot of times in storytelling you've kind of got to err on the side of just telling the story the way you want it may come off as a little ham-fisted as this story kind of does in some ways where we kind of have to pound a couple of edges you have to pound a couple of uh you have to pound a couple of round edges into a nice flat square to make it work. <laughs> but I don't think that it suffers for that. I think that the, the intent of what they're trying to do still gets through even when you kind of like, okay, I can look at that and admit that that is a fault. But I don't think that that is anything that wrecks the story or makes it any more unenjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it can be that way for some people, of course. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And after... I understand that. I understand that. After um, the streams, I actually took some time going through the Steam, um, the Steam reviews. Oh boy! Uh, maybe, maybe that would be a good place to end this. Actually, okay. And there's a lot of people that are like, "This is a great thriller. Uh, it's really interesting." And other people being like, um, "There's too much. There's a lot of development in Act One, but there's not enough development in Act Two mm. and Three. That's like <laughs> the first complaint. And the second complaint was." This kind of went off the rails and is kind of <laughs> lost me yeah. on suspension of disbelief. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like those are actually pertinent criticisms. Like Act Two and Act Three are a lot more vague and focus on this human removal service stuff. Um, it probably could be written tighter with like, and yeah, the suspension of disbelief, maybe more cop um, involvement would help with that too. Um, so that's, I guess criticism for the writer to take into consideration next time. Um, yeah, I, I understand why Act 2 and 3 was um, shorter yeah. and less developed. Because oh, if you developed Kojiro too much, then you reveal too much. Yeah. And with Aoi, like, you're getting into climax mode, so you want it to be short. Yeah. Um, so I understand that. I can understand, though, why it would feel like it's moving like almost too quick after so much careful development was done with Norco. And, and I would agree um, that, yeah, it gets a little bit off the rails. But at a certain point, you're kind of just reveling in the thrill. Right. So it depends on what kind of reader you are. Yeah. Like, how much do you care? Because, like, definitely, I think the jumpiest, sharkiest moment for me 
given that Act 2 takes place a month after Act 1, so they've been basically at this for like a month, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily expect uh, police to necessarily catch on in that time. But by the end of Act 2, where we're talking about like the more getting all feedback. That's, and, yeah, that's the jump shark and, moment. And yeah. also, like, I was also jumping the shark a little bit on him uh, cutting the cutting arm the off arm at the off. time. Yeah, yeah. but that's the two bits for me. Yeah, like the the um, the cutting the arm off makes sense in retrospect as a like capstone point for his story there. Yeah, but it's still like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it came too quick out of nowhere. Like I see where the build up was meant to be, but kind of just it just suddenly just suddenly went, oh no, he's gonna cut his arm off. I'm like he felt quite sane slightly before that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, felt, I felt like they needed to like um, maybe pepper that earlier in the chapter or something yeah. like yes. that, give you some time to sweat on it. You know. And I feel like if there was more tension or if they even had to move locations at least once in the story, mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. would take making more assets for the visual novel, which is obviously a consideration. That's a big uh, thing. Yeah, that would definitely bring down some of the jump shark stuff. Yeah. Also, I didn't even feel like the like the stealing all the corpses from the morgue was a necessary aspect of the story. Yeah, uh, it just kind of just it was just kind of like a fuck you. Yeah, um, and it's so oh, weird that they get held it up that much because like when they said, "Oh yeah, that the morgue was stolen," that was two hundred corpses. The whole like, "Oh, it's my one month later." They'd still delivered three hundred bodies in that month. Yeah, and they that's the, pretty the crazy. Killed three hundred people. That's six hundred deaths going around in one yeah, month. So definitely <laughs> Again, some parts of the story you're not supposed to think about. That's the, part, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the part where I say like the scope got away from you. Like if you would have kept it like as this very small series of murders that keep happening of like kept your body count lowers, don't get into the hundreds because that's when your scope starts sounding a little silly. Um, yeah. if they yeah. kept it, if they'd have kept it more local to like just this city, this weird shit keeps happening. People keep ending up dead, but you like maybe get maybe get there around fifty or sixty or something, and it's a race and all that. But like, I think jumping as big as they did and going as huge as they did, it just made that part of the story feel a little bit silly. Especially this mm. one funny bit, which is like, they're going, how can they have killed so many people so quickly? And it's like, you delivered as many corpses yeah. as they killed. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it is a bit oh. much. But but again, it's just a, like, again, it's a suspension of disbelief issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything else about this story, I think, landed pretty well with everyone here. I think we all came away from this story, like, Despite the, you know, despite some of the, 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 the issues that it has, we all came away from it. We had a fucking great time. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, it was really well written in that regard. I just, yeah, I think, like, these criticisms are good ones that, yeah. for the writer to take away. I mm-hmm. think you can definitely write this a little bit tighter and still have it be Corpse Factory. Yeah. And I think it would go great. Yeah. Um, However, then you wouldn't have Owie as the greatest serial murderer of all time. <laughs> Three hundred people in a month. <laughs> Holy shit! How did she not what? leave DNA evidence? What the fuck? Girl, put yeah, in work. And she's like, she I deserved a family, motherfucker. I leave the house. Fucking everyone, better watch out. <laughs> this girl only leaves the house to murder. He has no other poor, uh, no other reason to be leaving the house. 
Jesus Christ. I, 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 interesting, we never find out how she kills, because they said it was like, it, the, she was, it was something that was too small to be a knife, it was more like a chopstick. Yeah, it was kind of like, yeah. Like, well, what was that then? Um, so in fact, a place to end, I think, is also it's like it's finishing off a couple of the, the, the weirder meta things, so the yeah. colors and stuff, and then any notes that you have as a response that we haven't talked about. Uh, the only thing, yeah, the only thing that uh, is, uh, the, the, the last, the last author note that I did not mention yet because it didn't come up was, uh, we, we, we talked a lot throughout the story, uh, and the streams about why are all these words color coded? Like, uh, mm -hmm. and it turns out that it's really just, they're just words that are specifically tied to certain characters. Like, that's really all it is. Like, the purp like yeah. purple is always tied to Corpse Girl and, and, and Noriko and the things that, um, like that, that, that it vividly involve her. The one that stands out the most is Kojiro's name being orange and the word name and any, any derivative of the right. word name yeah. being that same color because like his name is obviously a front. And, and like, that was kind of like the big one. Um, the red and green colors being inverted was just kind of the, to symbolize Aoi being colorblind. Um, and anything blue, um, was meant to symbolize like technology and the like. So, yeah, I think that's the that. most interesting choice. Like, I think I can mm -hmm. see like purple being Corpse Girl's like ambition. Mm -hmm. uh, Kojiro emphasizing the name being really important because of his like broken identity. Yeah, and Aoi yeah. obviously with the red green thing makes sense. Mm -hmm. But technology is an interesting aspect. Yeah, that was story. an interesting yeah. one. I don't like in red being like things like like power and things that like corpse girl craved or something like that. I, can't, I don't have the note in front of me. I, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I, yeah. Cause I, was, I do like, think like yeah. technology is the least explainable one. Yeah, and I wonder yeah. if y'all have any ideas on that because I can think of maybe a few things. I mean, it's really mm -hmm. just the fuck. Like all I could really think of was just like the website. It's, um, yeah, it's just, just photo the and website. That was it. Mm. Yeah, blue words anyway. like photo and pink words like noise or technology related and point to Noriko's uh, over reliance on technology as opposed to ever possessing any real power to end lives. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, okay. This actually brings me back to something I wanted to talk about this stream, so I'm glad we brought it up. Um, <laughs> that is another theme of the story which is intimately related to this sort of aspirational framework that I've been using continuously throughout this podcast. And that is the idea of alienation. Yeah. Noriko is alienated from other people to a, such an extreme degree. She has very few friends. Her points of connection, like, give her, like, valuable things, but she's ultimately continuously drawn back into this loop of um, chasing that aspiration. Yeah. And obviously, when you think about this in a Marxian sense, we're, we're getting, we're getting big <laughs> Okay, with the now we're uh, going to go. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, it, there's the idea of, like, you know, capitalist alienation. Right. We can also just talk about the general social alienation caused by technology, right. um, internet atomizing us generally. Like, this idea of the atomization of society and us being separate from other people and rather pursuing um, aspirational interests in an individualistic way. Right. And that kind of plays into the detachment that allows the corpse factory to run. Um, the corpse factory 
is manufacturing deaths, which requires literally um, a disconnection from the commodity that you are producing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that means a disconnection from people, which is atomization, whether through technology or the aspirational business-like, capitalistic-like framework that has been imposed upon the characters in this scenario. Um, like, that alienation is so fundamental to this whole story. And I think we could talk a lot about how alienation from other people has caught, like, led into a lot of the mental health issues from um, Noriko, Aoi's, and others' perspectives. Sure. Yeah, like, when yeah. we're talking about Noriko, uh, a lot of her mental issues have to do with a sort of self-perfectionism, which plays into um, all of this. Mm -hmm. And that that is in the um, sense of the aspirational, as I talked about earlier, but it's also in the sense of alienation, in the sense that other pe people other than you are competition. And that actually brings best back to earlier in the story for how Tomoe and Noriko initially view themselves. Right. They see themselves as opposites, but they actually can link up on mutual interests, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because of their, you know, class position. Um, Aoi is completely alienated from other people in the sense that she literally thinks she's dead. And that plays back into the Junpei disconnection scenario where she doesn't, like, she's just someone to be used. Right. Like, humans aren't humans to her really yeah. anymore. And you can see how That's that how... ties to Kojiro easily, very well with the same type of alienation, yeah. Uh-huh. So the topic of alienation is actually a very interesting part of the story. And I think that might be the reason why technology is there, because that's an aspect of it. Sure. Um, I brought in a lot of weird, like, class capitalist stuff. I mean, that's just me reading it as a millennial. That's just how we, we are. It's, um, not, it's, but, not, um, it's not an angle that I had thought about at all while reading the story. But when looking back at various points of it, it's like that read totally makes sense, whether intended or not. It actually, you know, like, that feels very inspired. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I'm not sure it's intended either, but when, like, the writer lives in the same world we do, and the, um, like, the pressures that the characters experience mm -hmm. and their mentality is one that naturally a writer will try to emulate in their stories if they're trying to represent the real world. Mm -hmm. So, even if an unintentional thing, it can be incorporated almost naturalistically, right. simply because that's how the world is for us. So that's why I like thinking about it. Yeah, well, I feel like they definitely pushed the angle. Like, for the whole story, I did realize that they were pushing the angle that, that Noriko really relies on social media and Photoshop yeah. and this and the other. Um, I don't think there was a good foil other than Tomoe to go against that. Of like, that's not what normal people are like. No one else just lives on online and does. And like, because it was her first reaction to anything. I need information. <laughs> I'll go on noise. I, I need to look up this. There's a threat to me. I'll look on noise yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so there wasn't really a good foil to bounce off of that. Like, actually, here's how the normal world works. But then we didn't have any well-adjusted people <laughs> as a foil anyway. Right. Yeah, so, that's... Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right that Tomoe is probably the closest thing. Like, in yeah. terms of the friend interactions we got, Aoi's was basically like a phone call. Yeah. Which was pretty... Which, knowing how Aoi actually is, 
was mm. kind of whatever. Yeah. Shinya's was us helping him. But with Tomoe's, we actually went and was in person with her. Yeah. And I don't think the game is taking like an anti-technology tack no, necessarily no, with this sort of alienation critique because the character who Noriko is able to get close with in that regard, Tomoe, um, she uses noise too. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, Noriko talks about how she loves her noise posts because yeah. they're fucking trashy as shit. <laughs> um, just like mine. Um, yeah. but, uh, uh, yeah, like it's about like building those human connections and that being important to you. Um, not like fulfilling, um, other aspects of your life other than this, um, sense of importance that comes from this aspirational stuff. Right. And obviously the theme of the game being like corpses and murder is meant to just hyper, um, emphasize how bad this is, but um, this is something you can relate to your everyday life, and, and one that people definitely struggle with. Like, as a person, uh, I probably have invested so much in academics in my life, as so much in certain like prestige dynamics um, and things like that. Things that are, you know, very involved for me, and actually my mental illnesses often are rooted in these things. So that's probably why I related to Noriko a lot, even if I'm not seeking corpses. So um, I guess that goes back to the relatability of her character. Right. Wow. Well, how do you feel? I don't know why. <laughs> I still want to know why Kajiro types two double letters in his sentences. I That's think the biggest it's, mystery. It's <laughs> I think it's just, hey, I'm trying to make a character that writes sloppy. Right, yeah, yeah. I really think yeah. that's that's all it is. As, as somebody who's also written, you know, people communicating via text message in a visual novel, I had to give characters quirks and like, oh, okay, this one just never uses capital letters and this one yeah. typos things a lot. I think that's all that is. It's well, not very deliberate. But yeah. All right. That's it. All right. So I got. How do we feel about putting a cap on 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 this uh, on the episode? Are we feeling good? Do we feel yep. like we got everything out? Do we feel good? I don't think we need to put me on anything. We're putting you on. You're, you're going right on top of this podcast. A beatbox okay. right into everybody's little hearts. All right, folks. Thank you all for coming out. This has been a fantastic little adventure. Uh, we finally got around to it. I'm glad we did. I, of course, also want to thank my co-host. I want to thank Nami, who stepped out uh, early. You can find her at twintail underscore Nami at twitch.tv. Uh, go over there. She streams a lot of Mahjong. Streams some casual playthroughs. She's a speedrunner. She's a member of RGL TV. So... That's all good and fun. A flat cap. Let the internet folks at home know where they can find you. All right. Uh, I am on Twitch as a flat cap, as it's written on the screen. Uh, I stream uh, a, a lot. <laughs> I try to stream on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Yep. Uh, but if you want to know when I actually stream, you can, <laughs> you can look at my Twitter, which is also twitter.com slash a flat cap. Uh, hit me up with a follow, if you will. Uh, and th that's about it. You can also find me... Uh, let me look up my real-life location here. Um, <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> no! I'm not having anybody dox themselves on my fucking podcast! Okay, car carry on. Then. 
Uh, Nert, where can the good folks at home find you? Who would want to do that? Uh, who um, would? So yeah, I'm, on, I'm on Twitch as NertML. Um, I stream like very randomly at the moment. Um, I used to stream like every day. Now it's like, eh, as and when. But I stream games just like this. Um, we have very similar tasting games, which is great fun. Yep. Um, so I hope to find more, more wild shit like that. I, I've got a couple lined up that I have no idea what they're about. So that should be fun going in blind. Um, yeah. Also on Twitter is just nuts without the ML. Um, yeah. That's where you can find me. Right. I talk a lot. <laughs> and you can find me at twitch.tv slash polyhead where I get up to whatever stupid stuff I do on here. Uh, you can also find me at twitter.com slash polyplushy. And that's where you can find out when I'm going live for streams and stuff. And I think we're going to go ahead and kick ourselves out of here. Thank you again for listening, everybody. And I want you to remember, as always, we are the podcast that loves you. We are the only ones that love you. 